us when you thought we were uh, British Columbia only. We're making a way out east. A guy that we've been going back and forth with for a long time, which is the way it works when you're trying to get a podcast going. But uh, his name has been dropped on this show already, actually. Coach Eberhardt mentioned he was uh, one of the best players he's uh, coached against. Uh, lethal three-point shooter. Good guy. Outgoing. And we are super, super stoked to actually just chop it up, man. This is going to be a really fun episode. I'm excited to learn more about um, this gentleman. Coming off a frustrating finish for him and his team at the FIBA 3-on-3s, which we'll get into. But uh, doing his thing, man. Hooping and a phenomenal story. A guy at one point, you know, was in the in the likes of, uh, you know, Steph Curry, J.J. Redick, all the greatest three-point shooters in NCAA history. We have none other than Steve Sir. How you doing, man? I like the applause. That's perfect. I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm good, guys. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, of course. It feels good to kind of get away from our OG question when we would start the show, which was like, what's life like in a quarantine? And now we're kind of, you know, it's getting there. And so how is just life for you? How's your family? You know, you just got back from your trip, getting settled back and being dad again and all those things. And, and uh, it must feel nice, those hugs at the airport and all that. But uh, how you doing and how you keeping? Doing pretty good. Um, I'm in a 14-day quarantine. I'm on day 10 from just getting back from Europe. So a couple more days to go. And I think I've officially reached my stir-crazy point where <laughs> you're in the house and you're, you know, they, I'm, I'm definitely at the end of this. Um, but you know what? Like uh, through all of this, I think if there was one great takeaway for us as a family is, is this has made us closer. It's helped our communication be much more in sync. Uh, we've had to lean on each other in a way that I think uh, had this not all happened, we might not have done. And I think, you know, through all of this, if you're trying to search for a silver lining, that's that's been good for us, where we've we've had to really just insulate and, and rely on one another to, uh, you know, to get through hard times, to value and enjoy the good times. And then uh, as things have loosened, uh, be able to you know, bring grandparents back into it, bring other family members back into it and, and keep those connections strong. Nice, man. Good perspective. Have you been vaccinated yet? Or how's that looking? What's yeah, where are you guys at with that? Yeah, I, I'm pretty lucky at this point. My wife was, uh, it was part of one of the earlier rollouts, uh, because she's a, a mental health therapist. So she does a lot of clinician work. And she was able to get her vaccination. And not long after that, I, I just got a little bit lucky. And there was a little bit of overage. So I was able to get my first shot before we left, and then um, I was able to get a shot, uh, a second dose, uh, relatively recently. So um, we're sitting in the good spot. We've we've both been double vaccinated, and uh, grandparents have, and, and other family members have. So you know, I, we're, uh, we're we're feeling better about uh, about what's coming. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm one in. I'll be seven weeks tomorrow. So you know, getting the texts and kind of. It'll it'll be soon. My wife, she works in healthcare as well, so she's already she just got her second dose a couple of days ago. And great, yeah, looking good. Her her mom's gonna come out for a visit. Like she's from Saskatchewan, and then my dad, um, my mom's passed away. My dad lives on a small island called Main Island, so okay. you know, we don't have a lot of a family help, right? So it's nice she's gonna come out and keep an eye on our little guy. We'll actually get to go out for dinner and you know do those things again, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, most, I met. I don't know if you've ever met or been you know, no, Novell Thomas played on the national team and things like that. He's been on the show. Mm -hmm. He was in town last week and, or yesterday, sorry. And we actually got to go out to like the pub and have a beer and talk. I was like, wow, this hasn't happened forever. So, <laughs> but like you say, it's like you learn so many new things and you learn things about your family dynamic and you learn what makes you tick and what, 
you know, how you adapt. And, uh, and I think, and I hope that we'll all just appreciate the little things, right. When it, when it, things get back to quote unquote normal, whatever yeah. that looks like, but yeah, very much it, so those things can sure. carry forward for sure. Well, let's just jump right in, man. Tell us about you, your life as a young dude growing up, Edmonton guy. Mm-hmm. Well, did some research, so I think there's a little backstory there too. But we're excited to hear more about you, man, and and let us know, you know, how basketball sort of started to come into uh, your life and take over. Well, originally I'm from the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's American, my mother's Canadian. My dad was a, was he was he was a great basketball player. He played a Division two school in uh, at Winona State in Winona, Minnesota. And uh, played two years professionally. Um, after that, was done in Belgium. Much different era. I mean, I think had it been now, he probably would have played longer. But great shooter, real tough competitor. And you know, he came back to the states and met a lady from Canada and uh, fell in love with her. And then uh, they uh, they had me down in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and um, we lived there until I was about four. And then we spent a year in Toronto. Uh, my dad got a job up there. We moved up there. Me and my younger brother Ben, and then uh, we had our my brother Sam joined us in Toronto. And then we moved to Edmonton because that was where my mom was from. She had uh, her parents living here who were older than my dad's parents. So we wanted to be around them for uh, later stages of life. And um, this is just where we stuck for a long time. Uh, my dad had work and it became home. And my earliest memories of basketball were my dad playing at the Mormon church uh, with all the U of A guys uh, who were really good at the time. All the Bear players were really tough. And I'd go sit on the stage and watch my dad. I'd sit on the end of his bench for for men's league games, and uh, you know bring some popcorn from home, and I watched him play, and that was that was my really my introduction to basketball. My first word was ball, so it was a little bit of the like steered in this direction thing of like, <laughs> hey, basketball would be fun, wouldn't it? So that was really how how basketball was introduced to my life was just following my dad because even though he was retired. Uh, he was still in that phase of, of being a competitive player, still in good shape, still had the edge to, to want to get out there and compete. And and Edmonton had a great basketball scene at that time, too. Um, all the U of A guys were, were always going all over the city to play Mormon Church at the old at the old U of A gym. Like Sean Scherzenoff and Dave Youngs and all those guys, Rick Stanley, they were playing. And, and my dad was right in the thick of it with them. And that's how I got to know those guys. And that's how I also just got introduced to loving being in the gym, the smell, the sound, the language. Got introduced to that young. and yeah, um, Good or bad. <laughs> good or bad and indifferent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. You go into the Mormon church and you think it's going to be a certain way and you find out awfully quick it's not. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of interesting words that get tossed around. But um, that that was how I first, first really uh, remember being in there and, and seeing that, hey, Guys get out there and get after it. It gets hot. It gets sweaty. And uh, and guys get out there and fight. And and I I love that from the jump. It just it spoke to me right away. It's funny too how like just when you're little, the impact of like you know kind of just being around because you you don't know any different about these guys when they're older. It's like they're just older, so you just instantly think they're stars. And they're like, hey, uh, Steve, pass me my water bottle there. They give you a high mm-hmm. five when they come out, and you're like, oh my god, like. I yeah. high five the guys on the team. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. you all, you think you're you might as well be at an NBA game. You know, it's like it's funny Absolutely. how when you're little. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. these were guys that had an impact on me at different stages in my life. That was when I first as a little kid. And I don't necessarily remember it, but that's the first time that I met met Dave Youngs. And Dave Youngs has had a impact, a huge impact on my life uh, on and off the court. 
since I was little up up to now. Um, mm-hmm. He was my high school coach, and I, I remember. I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I remember seeing Dave coach a game when I was in junior high, and and I thought immediately, that's who I want to play basketball for because he was just tough and determined and hard nosed. He could shoot, and you know those Bears teams were so good and laid the groundwork really for what I think all the young guys coming up at that point what they knew about competing and what they knew about high level Canadian basketball. So to have my dad be in there with them playing was, was a great way for me to just be around these guys and and start to get introduced to what hoops were all about. Love it. Got to ask you though, are you like, cause I am, I will admit it. This is a safe space. Are you a T Wolves fan? T Wolves fan. Uh... Did you decided to dump that on the move? Good. Smart man. Smart it's man. it's tough. You know what? When when Garnett was there, I was like, I was into it because I like Kevin mm-hmm. Garnett. And when they Sam had the little am, run, we got Wally yeah. Serbiak, we got Spreewell, we got Terrell Brandon. Yeah, we're all yeah. right. You know, we had some guys. I well, let's say this: I was pissed about the Joe Smith thing. Like, why yes. are you dumping all this money on Joe Smith and doing it under the table? What are we thinking? And you lost all this stuff as a result of it for Joe Smith. Like it was exactly so like it was one of those nice one, Corbin. So I think it was, uh, I was enough of a T-Wolves fan to really get pissed off when they would do T-Wolves things. And, yeah. you know, Hey everybody, our big off season acquisition is Michael or candy. And it's like, Oh my God, guys. So yeah, it, they're, they're a frustrating franchise to follow. And even now, I mean, you know, I hope they do well, but at the same time, they're the wolves. What can you expect? Yeah. The one year they uh, they drafted like eleven point guards. Remember that? Yeah, uh, Johnny oh, Flynn. Johnny and Flynn and Ricky. Oh my god! Yeah. It was like, what is going on? What are you guys thinking? Oh, the Wolves. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, man. Like the Edmonton experience, growing up, getting to high school. Tell us where you went to high school. Did you ever get to go to the Reb? I went to the Reb when Greg Newton was there. I went to that. Greg. I went and watched that tournament. Were you there for the dunk contest? Oh yeah, I was in it. Oh, no way. Oh, okay, so, cool. so we're in grade 10. I'm in grade 10, the, the senior tournament, and we're on the plane, and my coach is like, Doug Bins, shout out Doug Bins, coach, I love you. He listens to the show. He's, he's a faithful listener, but, like, I hate you. So he's like, I think you should go into the dunk contest. I'm like, okay, because I can, like, do, like, a cup, one-foot, one-hander, right? Mm. And he's like, nah, you'll be good. We land at, like, I don't know, we take some stupid early morning flight. We land at 9.30. The dunk contest is, like, noonish. you know, the whole mm-hmm. school's there. Go in the spare gym. There's Greg Newton. There's like two teams from Texas. And I'm like, like these dudes are like six, 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 eight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is me. Hmm. Like I'm six, three and a bit on a good day. And everybody at home thinks it's cool because I can dunk in the odd game. And I'm like, holy crap, I have to go in this dunk contest. Like, don't yeah. blow it. So I put two down. And I didn't make it to the next round, but I was like, uh, this, like, I think Greg Newton jumped over his point guard. Yep. Yeah, I remember like, that. Yeah. Spread Eagle. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, tell us about, like, yeah. Because we got more Edmonton dudes we want to get on, right? And we mm-hmm. had Barnaby on, who's, U of, you know, at U of A right now, and, and yeah, Coach Horwood sure. and stuff. And our guy Blaine, shout out Blaine. But there's some history, man. And tell us about that experience and what that was like, and, you know, how, how those years went as you started to kind of start to get recruited a bit. 
Um, well, coming up, my, my first coach was my dad playing community league basketball. I got involved quick. I, my first basketball team was when I was six. So it was, oh, snap. yeah, it was tossed right into it. And that's what I wanted to do. I mean, uh, from an early age basketball, like I had my little tight soup in the backyard and we, we wore the grass down doing shooting contests and playing one-on-one with my brothers. So the neighbors are all like, why don't yeah. they have a, why don't they have a rink in their backyard? Yeah, why aren't the kids playing hockey? Do they want to come over and play hockey? And my mom and dad have to make excuses for why we don't want to come over and play <laughs> hockey. But you're the labeled kids in the neighborhood for sure. Yeah, yeah. we're the rude kids who never yeah, show yeah. up for open for pickup and hockey. But uh, we uh, we got involved with hoops quick. Uh, my dad was my coach. We had a great group of neighborhood kids that just really liked to play ball and really liked to get out and compete. That was my experience coming up was just community ball. It's so different than it is now where you, you get into the, you know, traveling teams and club and things like that. Like you practice once during the week and then you play it on Saturday, hopefully twice. And that was what you look forward to all week. And really from an early age, I got hooked on looking forward for Saturday. We practiced Wednesday nights, dad would race home from work and, you know, put his shorts on and have his practice plan written out. And we go over and we, do our shooting drills and we do three men weave and three on two, two on one. And we do shell and we do all that stuff that younger guys learning the game needed to learn. And the emphasis was competing. Uh, it was always about uh, playing together and, and, and competing Friday nights. I'd watch my Rocky movie to get pumped up or something like that. Or I'd watch Hoosiers or I'd watch hoop dreams and I would do my pushups because I was fired up. And <laughs> that was, uh, that was my experience growing up. I, I loved Saturdays. So <laughs> As we progressed and things started to get a little more serious, I started uh, becoming a more serious player in the city. I got, I got cut from my junior high team when I was in seventh grade. That was a bit of a wake-up call for me because half of it was I probably wasn't good enough yet. And, and the second part was I was I was scared of the older kids, if I'm being honest. Like I was nervous going into the gym with bigger and stronger guys than me. And I had some good people in my corner that said, hey, well, if you're going to be nervous about this stuff, then maybe it's time to start doing some things like doing push-ups and, you know, going to shoot on your own and, and starting to make an effort if, if you're if you're thinking that you're out of your league. So eighth and ninth grade were good learning experiences for me. By ninth grade, we won cities in Edmonton, and that was a big jump. And then that, that summer was a formulative thing for me because I made the Edmonton zone team. And uh, I played for a man named Daryl Cleave who was a young coach uh, who's still a close friend of mine. And he cut me the year before, and then this year he had me on. And, and um, he told myself and, and Brandon Park, who was another guy that uh, I played basketball with through high school and, and played for the U of A, that um, practice is going to start at 5.30. And you guys had to be there at 5. And you have to bring a skipping rope. So we both showed up. We were the first guys there. And we said, you know, what's what do we have to do? And he said, well, you're just going to skip rope and you're not going to stop until I come out of my office. So <laughs> he had us set up on the far corner at Louis St. Laurent, a little junior high in the city where we held practices. And he said, all right, just start skipping. And he walked across the gym in his dramatic Daryl way and shut the door. <laughs> And me and Brandon were jumping rope and looking at each other and like, well, how long is this going to last? Four or five minutes. And we skipped until from about five to about 527. And, you know, we stopped every now and then, but like to take, take a breath, but he'd peek his head out just to make sure we were doing it. Yeah. And so we had a full sweat and everybody else is coming into the gym going, you know, doing their stuff, getting ready. And then I asked Daryl, like, why did we have to do this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said, specifically for me, he said, um, because you're slow and you have kind of a bad attitude. So we're going to break <laughs> that. And um, I don't mean to laugh. Sorry. No, it, it was good. I mean, it's, I you're it. supposed yeah, to, yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. 
He was very candid. <clears throat> Need more of that in this world. Yeah. And really, like, one, it was my first introduction to the the groundwork that you should always have laid, that you should show up early, you should stay late, how the good players always have that in common. And he also taught me that uh, I had things to learn. I was probably one of, if not the best player on the team, and I was the guy that had to show up and, and, had, to, uh, and had to start working at things and had to start working harder than I was used to working and that he was going to show me what that meant. So that was the routine for that whole summer is that I would show up early and I would skip rope. And the thing that happened was I got a little bit quicker and I got in better shape and I started defending better. And all of a sudden it started to make sense of I'm not being punished. He sees something in me and he knows that I need to work harder and he's going to push me. So leading into that, uh, that was my first real experience where I played for somebody else that put a higher level of expectation on me. My dad taught me how to play. He taught me how to shoot. He was tough on me. And then Daryl took it one step further where it was, hey, you got to be here half an hour before. And that's just it, period. Mm -hmm. Non-negotiable. So that was a big change for me of, uh, okay, I better start doing this on my own. I I better start. Also to uh, like a a different voice, right? Like very much. It's one thing when it's your dad and you're like, you know, you're into it, but you're like, at some point you're like, okay, dad, you know, but then it's like someone that you respect and kind of want to impress now because it's new and you're Mm -hmm. like, all right, I better, better tune in here. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. It's he could my dad could have probably told me to do that. And I, on some days I would have been into it. And there probably would have been other days where you're right. I would have rolled my eyes and said, OK, dad, you're right. Sure. Hmm. Leading in after that, we went down to the States and played in a variety of, of summer tournaments that were organized by my dad, a man named Phil Allen, who coached at uh, yes. State. Rest in peace, yeah. Phil. Yeah, very much so. You know, one of the, the best yes. we've ever had. No doubt. Bar none. That's, yeah, that's special an OG man. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Special, no special man. Mm-hmm. Touched so many people in their heart. Thanks for mentioning him. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to bring Phil up a little bit in this because my last season playing five on five, Phil passed away and you you immediately rush back to being 13, 14 and Phil having you run a 17 and then telling you like, and then patting you on the back and saying like, it's for a reason. So him, my dad and a a gentleman who's, I've known most of my life named Dave Dorward, um, they organized a team and we call it the Edmonton grads kind of honoring the, the historical women's team from, from our city. And um, we put a group of the best ninth graders together and we practiced hard. I mean, Phil was a CCAA coach of the year. My dad eventually was a ACAC coach of the year. So this is what ninth graders were getting. We went down to a tournament in Idaho, played down there. And then, I mean, that was a rude awakening for everybody. <laughs> and um, then that summer, uh, later that summer, we went to the Clem Haskins basketball camp at the University of Minnesota. Yes. And... We went to the Great American Shootout in Minneapolis, and then we played at this gigantic tournament at the University of Indiana. And this was a three weeks, like barnstorming, like you're in the van, we're driving down to Minneapolis, we're at Clint Haskins camp for a week, then you're in Indiana for a week, then you're back to Minnesota for a week. And like Aaron, like it was like when guys were talking about going down, man, was that story different on the way back. Like, I'm going to show this guy that. I'm a D1. And then you're driving back and everyone's like zipped. Because it was like players you were seeing, the teams you were playing against, you were like, who the hell are these guys? Like, <laughs> we, we read Slam every week. How come these guys aren't in punks? These guys, these guys are amazing. And punks, yes. They're killing us. So not every game was a disaster. We played a couple teams in Twin Cities, played them tough. We went to Indiana. We won a couple of games. Uh, we played a team from Michigan that 
beat the living hell out of us. And everyone after the game was like, you know, should we even play basketball anymore? <laughs> and then we played in Minnesota against a variety of teams from the Midwest, from South Dakota, from the Twin Cities, from Indiana. And we learned real quick, like, boy, this is hard down here. These guys play tough. They compete. They run the floor. Some guys talk trash. And we were all good players in our city. And then it just opened our eyes to that ocean. We we're living in this fishbowl and it opened our eyes to the ocean. And that's what led into high school. I think for all of us, like myself especially, I looked at that and said, I really want to play college basketball in the States. Like that, that's my dream. That's my goal. I think I can do it because while we were down there, I played well. And that's what I wanted to do. So through Phil and my dad and Dave, they opened this door for us to really see like, okay, guys, if this is what you want, this is what it looks like. And it's tough. Like it's really hard. And there's a ton of kids down here that have the exact same dream and goal that you do. So uh, starting in high school, it's time to get serious. And if this is what you want, it's time to start fighting for it. So what though, what they did really to to lay the track for us to understand that was one of the one, probably one of the greatest gifts we could have been given at that age was really just to see, okay, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to go down there and really live it for a couple weeks at a time. Take those lessons back home and get your butt in the gym and, and start getting to work. And some of those things, had had it been, you know, your senior years, maybe it's almost too late. Exactly. Right? So it's like that early exposure and it's, yeah. Phil, what a guy. And, and two, mm. like, you know, maybe there, you know, I, I feel at times maybe out West and in Ontario and Quebec, there's kind of like this underlying arrogance that we kind of do it better, you know, mm. and it's not true. And there's lots of great people in every province that are putting time into kids and giving exposure. And that's what I, a message I want to get across that like, there's a group of kids at your age going down and it's a whole different world, man. It is a whole different so. world. Like, once you cross that border, it's life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us. Well, Phil was a little bit of, I think my dad and him were, were, were a little bit of a visionary because they, mm-hmm. back then people didn't, people weren't doing this. You didn't go to the States and play in big tournaments and, and, and be gone for weeks at a time to, and for what? Like no one was being paid. Like Phil wasn't making money. My dad wasn't making money. Yeah. I was on the team. So my dad obviously had investment and he, and he coached the other, some of the other guys on our team. Mm-hmm. And Phil's son, Joel, was on the team as well. And obviously there's skin in the game there, but this wasn't for profit. Like this was, hey, these kids are good. They need to learn and they need to see. So, I mean, this was a little bit ahead of the curve because at least in our area of the country, this mm-hmm. wasn't happening yet. And it did start It did start a little bit of a, of a snowball effect where, you know, People started to get organized. They started to get kids together. You started to have some practice and go down and play in Vegas and try and seek some of these tournaments out uh, for exposure purposes, which was good, I think. I mean, for for guys that were talking it, it was it's one thing to talk it. It's another thing to get down there and do it. And that led into high school, which uh, I went to uh, to Ross Shepard High School, um, as I mentioned to you before. Yeah, we had a little bit of, a, of an interesting lead into this. So when I was like I told you, when I was little. I saw Dave coach a high school game against my cousin, Nathaniel Watson. And Nathaniel was a really good player at East Glen High School and uh, wound up playing at the University of Idaho. And, and he was a you know, good player. And I went and watched Rochette play East Glen in the, I think it would have been the cross, it was a crossover game that whoever won went to provincials. And Rochette wound up winning in double overtime. And I remember sitting with my mom and 
like watching Dave the whole game because he was red faced, he was up, he was yelling, he was just intense, exactly how he was as a player. And I said to my mom multiple times, like, I want to play for for Dave. Like, I really want to play for Dave because he just had this thing about him where it was like, he looks like he'll lead and, and you want to follow. He was just intense. So got to know Dave a little bit before high school. I went to a basketball camp that he worked at in the summer at Memorial out in Stony Plain. And he was coaching there and Rob Poole was coaching there. It was this like great under the radar basketball camp where all the best coaches in the city were coaching. And we got to know each other. And I just said, like, I'll take the bus. I'll drive. I'll do whatever I have to do to get over to Chef to play for you. And I lived in a different area of the city. So that meant that none of my friends were going to Chef. Uh, it was going to be a fresh start for me, which was kind of something I was looking forward to at the time because junior high kind of got into a little bit of trouble with uh, some buddies of mine. So um, do you want to expand on that or? No, you know what? I think I can probably leave it there. I'm comfortable yeah, yeah, leaving yeah. it there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't at my peak in junior high. Let's 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 say that. So when I was going to Shep, I kind of figured that you know, like you know, Brandon was a guy that I went to junior high with, Brandon Park, and I thought you know like he's ser- he's getting serious about basketball. Sure, it'd be nice to have a friend. So I said to Brandon, like, would you consider coming to Shep? And Jim- and Brandon was playing on this grads team with me down in the states, and he thought you know I don't know, it's a lot of time on the bus, it's going to be a big commitment. And then he eventually said, yeah, I think going to Shep would be a good idea. That's where I'm going to get the best chance to learn from a good coach, play in a good team. Let's do it. Let's do it together. And then it wound up happening that Joel Allen came, uh, Phil's son, and Phil Sudol came, who was playing on our grads team, who was the other really good player in the city. And then at the last minute, Jermaine Buckner decided to come. Okay. So we had these five, five, tenth graders that were all really good for our age, all of a sudden just randomly winding up at Shep. Uh, so Dave got a little bit of flack for that, that he was recruiting and he was in which he wasn't because if anyone's met Dave, he's not that kind of guy to be hitting the junior high games, uh, pouncing on kids, <laughs> dropping letters off. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't really into that whole thing of, you know, yeah, limos, yeah. limos to school and things like that. So <laughs> so we all wound up at Shep and uh, it wound up being a great thing for all of us because we had each other and um we competed with one another. We knew each other. We came in with uh, with a lot of hype. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because this really, you really hadn't had a group of tenth graders come to uh, come anywhere in, in Edmonton, especially with with I think that amount of uh, that amount of ability. Um, so we were playing right away. We had other good players on the team too. A guy named Mustafa Seaton who actually played at Brandon, um, who was, uh, yes, was yes. a tough son of a and uh, big moose. Big moose. He was there. I was finishing school, but he was there. Oh man, and Moose yeah. was good. Like in high school, oh, yeah. like good feet, good hands. And man, when he was pissed and really focused, like just get out of the way. So we had a really tough team. We wound up winning provincials that year in my tenth grade year. Oh, man, you got to throw yeah. it back here. What year would have that been? That would have been nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I had one year with Moose. Talk about like because everybody out west knows Ross Shepard because Ross Shep would come out. There's a big tournament on the North Shore here. We coached against them. They waxed us uh, the one time we played those, like we were way out of our league. But like the Ross Shepherd program is, it's elite. And what did you notice about it when you were there, other than the coaching? But what were the standards? And I mean, you're talking about kids hopping on the bus just to come play for someone. You know what I mean? And, and I think it's healthy if it's from the right spot. Like if a coach is trying to pluck kids and pull them, I'm not down with that. But if a kid is drawn mm-hmm. to someone, I had the same experience as a kid. My the the guy that I wanted to play my entire life for mm-hmm. left and went to a different high school when I was in grade nine, and I came home and I cried. I was like, 
mm-hmm. but it's Mr. Chambers. I want to play it for Mr. Chambers. And we just made it work. My family made it work. We made the commitment, right? So there you go. The Rochette program is it's it's elite for sure across Canada. Everyone knows about Rochette. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I mean, there there were yeah. there were guys that were good players that played at Shep. I mean, Clayton Pottinger played at Shep, and uh, there were a couple guys who were really good before I showed Shout up. Shout out Clayton uh, Pottinger. Let's go. That's right, man. One of one of the original yes. guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the best we've had around here. So Shep had some good some good teams. There was a bit of a culture there. Dave had had some good players, but when I went there. Uh, they weren't necessarily, you know, year in and year out being like, oh, this is the, cause like that was really, that was Ainley at the time. Um, right. I mean, it still kind of persisted today is Ainley's just always been tough. I mean, Rob Poole was an incredible coach in our area. So they always had good players. They always played together. They were always tough. Like you mentioned with, with your coach, there was just something about Dave personality wise. We, we were friends basketball wise. You know, he was, he was tough. He was hard nosed. It was about pushing people. It was about, uh, really about toughness and competing. And that spoke to me at that age, because if I wanted to reach the goals that I had of, of playing division one basketball, I felt being a chef and playing for Dave was, was it, that that was mm-hmm. what was going to provide the best experience. And I mean, really like I wanted to be a really good high school basketball player. I didn't really think beyond that outside of, I want to play division one, but like, I want to go to rush up and I want to win provincials and I want to be our best player. So when I got there, Dave facilitated that he would push me and he would provoke me. Um, I was a pretty fiery kid uh, that oftentimes had a tough time with holding my mouth and and Dave would prod that a little bit. Yeah, just a touch, just a touch, Aaron. I mean, okay. you know, All right. every once just in a checking. while. Just checking, just a every quick once in a while. check there. Quick yeah, well, it, it, it would get hot sometimes, man. So yeah, yeah it would uh, it would get hot. <laughs> and Dave was great for that because Dave was like that as a player. He was fiery and he was competitive and he would, I mean, I, I always remembered seeing Dave for the first time because his cheeks were flush red and he was barking on defense. And I remember thinking like, man, like that guy just looks like he's playing at another level. And uh, every one who saw Dave always spoke to how hard he played and how smart he was and how tough he was. So that's really all I needed to know in order to want to try and play for a guy like this. And then we just had the good fortune of all these other good players were like, yeah, I want to do that too. That, that yeah. That's going to be, that's going to be the answer. And I think the culture that we created for ourselves was, I mean, for my money, I believe we were the best high school team ever from Alberta. Uh, we won provincials my 10th grade year. We won provincials my 11th grade year. I left my 11th after my 11th grade year. We moved back to the States and they still won provincials. So we had an incredible group. Damn. And there was a culture that started from that that was extremely special. Our practices were really, really competitive. And our expectation was probably for every game that we played, we were, we were expecting to win. Like you mentioned, like we played in, we played in all the best tournaments and we took everybody's best shot. And my 10th grade year, we lost. Like Ainley beat us in the cities. Uh, Scona beat us in the crossovers. We weren't a flawless team, but we mm-hmm. were we were young and guys were learning. And, you know, like I mentioned, we had Mustafa, who was, who was super tough. But Jermaine was still rounding into form. Brandon was learning. Uh, Phil was sneaky good. People slept on how good Phil was. And uh, we had good guard play, too, with Joel and myself and uh, and a couple other guys who were key. So we ended up winning provincials that year, my 10th grade year, over Ainley uh, down in Lethbridge. And we beat some really good teams. We beat McGrath 
uh, that had Jimmy Balderson, who was a really tough player from yes. down that area, who played at BYU. And then uh, in the semifinals, we played one of my favorite high school games. We played William Averhart, and we played against John Riad. And John Riad, for anybody listening, for like Canadian guys, John Riad was legit. One, he showed up at this tournament with orange hair because William Aberhart had orange jersey. So John showed up with dyed orange hair. And okay. it's right off top. He's the first guy On you notice. Right yeah, first guy you notice. And you get in the game and he's like cocky and like just moves with a certain swagger. And like he was doing stuff at that time that guys weren't doing. He was like crossing guys over and like mocking you a little bit. And he'd like go like boom, boom, boom and go right by you or then pull up and then like kind of like make a face at you. Like guys just weren't doing that as much back then. Yeah. And he was backing it up too. So like I watched him and I was like, man, he is good. John is good. So we had a battle in that, in that semifinal game. We beat him uh, in a really tough game. I remember me and Moose played really well. And then we had a really great final against Ainley where we won in overtime. About as good an introduction to high school basketball as you could ask for because there was a lot of good players in Alberta and we were able to, to put it together and, and win right away. the luck of just having such a great crew it's like you have the best open runs in the off season too that you need right like there's mm-hmm. just a gym full of dudes and then bring some other guys from the city or you go to the community center and at what point does the interest start to come and talk about that transition of going back down to america like it's a you got a unique story here so um is there any interest early on or are you still just scrapping every single day to sort of like prove who you are uh, in between that summer uh 10th and 11th grade uh, we went down to the University of Montana team camp, and nice. that was one, uh, again, an, another experience for us where it's like, okay, we're going to get down there. You're going to be in front of the coaches. You're going to compete, and you're going to see where you stand because, I mean, this was an area also, too. That I'm sure you know, Aaron, like there, there's guys that can play everywhere. It doesn't matter if they're on recruiting lists or, or things <laughs> like that. There's just dudes that pop up all over the place, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? And he's just killing people. So when we went down to the Montana camp, it, that's exactly what it was. There were all these guys from these small towns like Kalispell and you know all these little places, and they're good. Like They're really tough. They can shoot. Their whole life ambition is to play at University of Montana. So like this is their Super Bowl. And like – it was six six white dudes with crew cuts and high yeah. socks that can all stroke the absolute crap out of it. And you're like, yeah, crazy farmers tan to here. Yeah, yeah like because yes, they've been yes. working outside. Yeah, and like can hoop, like can just flat out hoop. So we went down there and and I played pretty good, like pretty good. Mm-hmm. Same type of thing. You you come down, you're a little bit of a big shot in in our area of Canada. I can shoot it. Things I still have to get better at: foot speed, you know, strength. Uh, you know, getting the ball off a little bit quicker when I come around stuff. This was the feedback I got, but it was still a really positive experience because again, you know, you're, you're trying to get your name out there. A lot of schools weren't coming up to Edmonton, Alberta and beating the door down and saying, you know, where are the prospects? It just wasn't happening at that time in our area of the country. If you were in Ontario, people were a little more accepting of, you know, well, it's a Canadian guy. Like I got lots of letters back from coaches that were like, yeah, but it's against Canadians, you know, (laughs) <laughs> kind of soft like it, and that was that was the perspective back then uh rick majeris who recruited me once i got a little more on his radar at utah just flat out said that he was like yeah but canadians are soft so you just i, I don't agree yeah but i 
I mean, this is Rick. He's like, I know more than you. And that's all that mm-hmm. matters. So you learn pretty quick that if, uh, if you feel a certain way uh, and a coach didn't, well, they're the ones that are recruiting you. So you're going to, you're going to find out quick whether or not you're on the map or, or not. So, um, the Montana thing led into, uh, the provincial team. Uh, we all played, our five guys made our Alberta provincial team that summer and we won the Western Canada games. A lot of good teams. We beat the BC team in the final. And I mean, they were, you know, Fred Winters, who's a great volleyball player. Yeah. Playing in Portugal, I think, for Benfica. And um, big sneakerhead. Yeah. And I mean, just I mean, back in high school, it was dunking on guys and it bounced and scared the piss out of you and all that <laughs> stuff. And um, they had some other great players on there, too. Uh, Aaron Christensen, who played at Pitt Meadows, real good player. Brett, oh, what was his name? Brett Charlton. Brett Carlton. Brent Charlton. Charlton, he played. I think he played yeah. at Simon Fraser. Yep. Um, so they had a bunch of good dudes. We played against Saskatchewan. Had Whit Hornsberger, who was fantastic. Ooh, Whit um, was good, yeah. Yeah, he was good. And Brent and Winters went to the same high school. Carson Graham. We played them yeah. in eleventh grade twice. I oh, did. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got a chance to play those guys twice. So we had a great coach. I'll back this up a little bit. On our, on our provincial team, we I played for a man named Mike Fullerton. And Daryl Cleave, who I played for on the Edmonton Zone team, was the assistant coach. So Mike was just like Daryl, tough, hard-nosed, disciplined. We ran like a very disciplined system. Steve runs this wing, runs it as hard as he can, and then he uses this screen, and then he hit him. And we and he was tough on me. Um, same type of thing. You 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 need to do better in these areas. You're a great shooter. We're going to get you a lot of shots, but you need to do better in these areas. So I play a terrible game, terrible first half in the Western Canada's finals against BC. And Mike just bursts through the door and just tears me apart for 10 minutes of how I'm letting the team down. I'm, I'm a baby. I can't keep my mouth shut and all this stuff. It, it, you, you just have to do better. And he killed like he killed me in the locker room. And we went out there and I played much better. And the other guys, I mean, guys on our team were fantastic, too. And we wound up winning. And then. After the game, he came over to me, put his arm around me. He said, you understand why, right? And I, I, understood, I understood after that why. Of, of, had he said nothing and just left me to my own devices, one, we would have lost the game. But two, we wouldn't have learned a thing. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he's another one of those tremendous role models that I was lucky to have that kept kicking me in the ass. And you learn a new thing, like you said, a different voice that's trying to, to help you get to where you need to be and to really try and understand this. So. We went to nationals actually where we played uh, Coach Paul, who was coaching yeah. the the BC team at the time. And we went to nationals out in BC and BC kicked our ass in our pool play game. They just tore us apart. Um, and then from there, we put our heads down and uh, we beat, I think, beat Manitoba. We beat Ontario in the semifinal. They had Denim Brown and had just a loaded team. And uh, this was the first time I really put my name on the map. I think I had 37 against the Ontario guys. And then in the final was my big coming out party. I had 47 points in the national final against the BC squad. And I was the MVP of the national championship. That's why, that's why he mentioned you. Yeah. I had a bit of a game against those those guys, but we had a great system. We had great coaches and we had guys that got me the ball wherever I could squeak open or wherever I could get to a spot. And, And that's really why it happened. So from there, that's when the door started to get open for me a little bit. I sent that tape to everybody. And this was back in the good old days, Aaron, that I know you remember where you have to put it on VHS and put it in the bubble wrap and wait six weeks for it to get to where it had to go. So 
Um, and then you get the letter back that just says not interested. Yeah, yeah that was tough. <laughs> that started to open up the recruiting doors for me a little bit. I got a lot of attention after that. I was in Sports Illustrated. I was in Slam and uh, in the punk section. So coaches started to say like, okay, we'll, we'll take a look. And then over the course of my 11th grade year, I started to hear from some like mid-major schools like Montana, Montana State, schools like that. 11th grade, we won provincials, we won cities. We had we had probably our best chef team that year. Uh, Jermaine was, was, was better. Uh, Phil was better. All of us were better. And kind of to speak to our depth, Jermaine broke his wrist in a tournament. He was going up to dunk and somebody pushed him from behind and he hit his wrist on the backboard. And he was done for the season, and we still ended up winning cities and provincials because we had Phil, who just stepped in and was incredible. Like Phil, I mean, I, it was such a shame what happened with him with his knee at the U of A because Phil was such a special basketball player. He was smart. He was could shoot. He was just a, a pleasure to play with. And that was part of our depth at Shep was we had these guys you could plug in where you, you lose Jermaine Buckner and Phil Sudo's there, one of one of the yeah, other best yeah. basketball players from area. So. We have a great 11th grade year. And then that summer, we went down to the Las Vegas big time tournament. And uh, this was kind of, you know, we've, we've had all these experiences together with almost the same group, starting with our trip to the States with the grads and then the provincial team. And now this trip to Vegas where everyone's a little bit older and also understanding like, you know, if we're going to show out, this is probably going to be it where you're going to have a chance to get on people's radars between your 11th and 12th grade year. Cause you mentioned it earlier uh, the clock's ticking a little bit, and yeah. Um, yeah. we're not having coaches making independent recruiting trips up to Edmonton to watch Open Gym. So we went down there with our with our chef group. Phil was our coach. My dad was our coach. Dave Dorg was our coach. So our same guys from our ninth grade grads turn, grads trip. What'd you call yourselves? We call ourselves the Junior Griffins because uh, Phil was the was the AD at at McEwen. And he, we got to use their practice jerseys, <laughs> so we were just we were just the junior Griffiths. We need we needed something to play in, so we had we had the blue practice jerseys. Um, so we got down to Vegas, and I mean, I'm sure you've been in environments like that too, Aaron, where like you get down there and there's thousands of teams and gyms are packed, and you and now you're finally you're at these tournaments where he's like, okay, I know who that guy is, and I know who that guy is, and you know. Eddie Griffin's there and uh, Julius Hodge and all these big time players that are that are going to be in the NBA or are projected to be in the NBA very shortly. And you almost get swept up in it of like, oh, there's Mike Krzyzewski and there's uh, Roy Williams and there's Lute Olson and there's just all these guys. And this is where they notice people. So guys were fired up. Guys were pumped. And then also, too, you got down there and, and you saw, all right, these guys can really play down here, too. So uh, <laughs> we got to get to work. and. Um, you know, at the risk of, of, of pumping me up a little bit, I, I went nuts that tournament. Um, I knew this was my shot, and I was super confident and, and really focused. And uh, I led the tournament in scoring that summer, and I actually set the career scoring record for the big-time tournament. So it was one of those weekends, or not weekend, it was one of those weeks where... Uh, okay, like enough with the humble pie. Like, you could freaking yeah. play. Yeah, I mean that's what it was. I was I was determined to go down there and show out. I yeah. I kept all the record recruiting information that said, you know, Steve, I don't know Canadians. Uh, you know, I don't know Steve. You look kind of slow on tape, and 
And I went down there and I was just like, I'll use a bad word, but I was, I went down there and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to show everybody that I, I can play at this level. I'm tired. I'm tired of this shit. And mm. after that, everything changed team, you know, schools were calling my room. Teams were leaving media, media guys at my, in the mailbox. They were giving me letters. Northern Arizona offered me that weekend. It just, it changed everything because you did it in front of American coaches against American players. And it wasn't fair because we had good Canadians at that time. There were, mm -hmm. were a lot of kids in Canada that could play, but there was still that that stigma that you know Canadians weren't tough like the U.S. kids. Canadians didn't didn't compete like the U.S. kids did. They weren't skilled like the way the U.S. kids were. Uh, so that meant a lot to go down there and, and and set the scoring record. I was I was selected to the all tournament team, which uh, was a big thing. And it it was I mean yeah it was about as it was as good a feeling as there could possibly be to to say like okay like I came down here and, and I showed them I can play. There's nothing better than a Canadian hooper going down and kicking someone's ass down south, or at least being able to compete when they roll out and see like, mm -hmm. oh look at the junior Griffins here, like we're gonna crush these guys, and it's like mm -hmm. a five point game at half, and they're like, damn, you know. So it's just like when you're on a good team, it doesn't matter who's hot. It's like, let's just keep rolling with what's working, you know, because we want to win. So, very much so. Yeah. No, very much so. When that finished, uh, my family and I moved to Minnesota, back to Minnesota, I guess. My my father, uh, he, um, he owned an art gallery in Edmonton, Alberta. He opened an art gallery, a second one in the Mall of America in Minneapolis, and wow. sold his art gallery in Edmonton. So the plan was always that we were going to move back to the cities. It was tough because Edmonton was home at this point, and um, I was excited for it uh, because I loved Shep and I loved the guys that I played with, but I also was very anxious for a challenge like this where you could go down to the States and be like, okay, it's one thing to play at a tournament. Uh, it's one thing to have a good week in Vegas. It's another thing to get down there for a whole year and, and have to play against these guys day in and day out. Um it was really a challenging year socially uh, to have to have your yeah. final year of high school uh, away from all your friends and a completely different environment. But I was lucky. I, I went to a school uh, called Creighton Durham Hall in St. Paul, and um, I played with uh, played with a guy named Joe Maurer, who um, ended up being will probably be a Hall of Fame base baseball catcher. Come on now. Yeah, I played with played with you Joe. You played with Maurer. Yeah, and he could play. Like Aaron I'm, Corbs, where are you? I don't know. He was. Corbs, it, it was are you fun. listening? You play with Joe Maurer. That guy's yeah, a Corbs, freak. You probably know. Yeah, best athlete I've ever seen with my own two eyes. My God! <laughs> Didn't even realize by I was far. muted. But holy smokes! Yeah, this Joey was. Joe Maurer. Joey was special. Joey was special. That guy's a freak. That guy's a monster. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he's not human. No. No, and, and when I got down there, so was that intentional, or was it just like, hey, this is just the closest high school, and like it was a little bit intentional. Yeah, my dad still had a lot of contacts in the, in the Twin Cities, and a guy that he played against and pl and played against in college, and then did some you know like touring team tournaments with after college was done, named Billy McKee, uh, was the coach of Creighton, and uh, Billy was like a noon ball legend in St. Paul. Cause he was an older guy. was like, you know, in his fifties, he's still killing young guys at open gym. Like he was like the most in shape guy in the love gym it. and he's 55 years old. I love so, dudes like that. Yeah. 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 He was, he was, he was the King. And yeah. I met, you know, I met him a few times in the summers and I, same type of thing with Dave. Like I liked him. He was just quiet, but he was a good player and team basketball guy. And uh, all the teams were, you know, that he coached were just built around, you know, you shoot the ball well, you play defense, you play together, we'll win the game. Really simple mm -hmm. stuff. 
Um, so I went to Creighton to play for Billy, and he also thought like, you know, if you come here, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a real good team. Joe's a good player. We have a couple other pieces that are good, and and you'll probably enjoy it socially. Creighton Durham Hall is in right in a quiet neighborhood in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we get down there, and I mean, I know Joe, I know of Joe before I get down there, and right when I get to school, the first thing people ask is like, you know, who Joe Maurer is, and I'm like, yeah, I know Joe Maurer is, like, I, I you know, I get that he's good. You know who I am though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a bunch of like random guys were like, you know, I'm Joe Maurer, right? And I was like, no, I've seen pictures of Joe. Yeah, like I know we're just getting into the internet, but I know what he looks like. So. I went and watched Joe play football because, I mean, for anyone who's listening out there who doesn't know Joe Maurer's backstory, have try this on for a senior year. Joe, in his senior year of high school, was National Player of the Year in football, first team All-State in basketball, National Player of the Year in baseball, signed a football scholarship with Florida State. Back when Florida State was, like, legit with Bobby Ballard as the coach, top five program. And he was the first pick in the major league draft by the Twins. That's his senior year of high school. So if you get into like Apex, like, okay, Joe's signing a $100 like million dollar contract. Has anyone ever yep. done that? Well, what's his name? Suggs from Gonzaga. Okay. Was also a football guy. And I know he, I think he was Jalen. Might Suggs have been national player of the year. He was Mr. He was Mr. Basketball and he was Mr. Football. But I don't know if he was national player of the year. Right. So Joey was national player of the year twice in two different sports in one year. That's like Steve Nash on steroids, man. Totally. Nash totally. was rugby, rugby, basketball, rugby, basketball, soccer. Mm. But like, these are deep American sports, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like that's, that's baseball and football. Yeah. Oh my God, man. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. If you're looking for some fresh summer apparel for the upcoming summer, now that everything is starting to open up, head down to Main Street and uh, hit up our man. Pass by Good Lad Clothing. Check out, try on some of their summer selections. I know we mentioned before on this ad read, Mitch and I really love their rating, rating champ gear, the rating champ shorts. I'm personally wearing right now a rating champ shirt, and it's easily the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn. And hopefully, some of you are listening to this episode right after work, and you're looking for a place to relax and enjoy some good company and some good beers. Head down over to Parkside Brewery on Brewers Row in Port Moody. And hopefully, some of you are listening to this episode right after work, and you're looking for a place to relax and enjoy some good company and some good beers. Head down over to Parkside Brewery on Brewers Row in Port Moody. They have a ton of excellent beers on tap, such as their Dreamboat Hazy IPA, my personal favorite, even though I'm not really much of an alcohol drinker. If you already liked and subscribed and shared episodes with friends and family and and made a review on iTunes for us, and you're looking for other ways to come support the podcast, please go out and support our sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. Thank you. Back to our interview with Steve Sir. But also too, like, you know, interesting, you talk about the transition of awkward senior year, but there's something about sport too, right? That like, at least, you know, I'm getting somewhere and there's going to be 12 to 15 dudes that maybe mm-hmm. they won't, maybe I won't be boys with them, but there's, they're going to be faces in the hall for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, you can't replace that, man. Like basketball's a, and sports just, it's special, right? It's just different. And it makes people like yourself who leave Edmonton and have a great experience, be able to transition easier because you're not just a kid in the hall. You're like, 
I have a little bit of an identity and people that I can connect with, you know? Yeah, you're 100% right, Aaron. I mean, it's such a connector and a commonality for people at all ages, too. One of the things that Joe did for me, he knew I was struggling socially that year, and he called me one night, and he said, do you mind if I come over? And I didn't know him very well at this point. I just, I mean, I knew Joe was iconic guy. And I mean, there was Kevin Garnett and then there was Joe really in the state. Yeah, at no, that point. legit. Yes. Yeah, he was famous, famous. And mm-hmm. Joe called me up and he was just like, what if I just came over with a couple of people and we just hung out? And I was like, okay. Like I lived, I lived far from Creighton. I was like probably like an hour's drive from Creighton at that point too. Yeah. And he drove, he drove to my house and we just hung out. I remember we watched basketball. We talked, got to know each other a little bit, really casual. And then he was like, all right, cool, let's let's do this again. And that helped me in a way that I don't think he really understood at the time of like, this was hard. And he took he took the time to reach out and just be a friend. And uh, Still, other guys, cre- yeah, it was because this was the one guy at school who had all the reasons not to do that, had every That's reason so cool. not to do it. Yeah, it was totally cool. I love it. Yeah. I eat that. That's that's like goosebump stuff for me, man. Mm-hmm. Like seeing. There's a guy who needs something. I'm going to do it. That's so yeah. cool. I'm going to take yeah. the risk. And he did that. And, and I mean, probably that, changed so much for you. Very much so. Because then also, too, one of the funny things about that was is like Joe Maurer had like the most like impenetrable bubble around him because everybody in his family knew like our son's going to be a millionaire in a year. Mm-hmm. And there were guys like, I mean, Aaron, you know, we've always read about this through hoops of like the people that try and like, the parasite guys. It was like, Ooh, you're a somebody. Let me stand next to somebody. Yeah. There were so many kids trying to get cool with Joe at that point. Like Joey, let's hang out this weekend. And Joe would be like, no, nah, good. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to go Steve's house now or away. For, yeah. Uh, get some dominoes and chill. Yeah. <laughs> there were all these kids that were coming up to me and being like, how did you get to be friends with Joe? And I'm like, I don't know. He just came over and hung out. What do I care? And he's just yeah. a nice guy. So like he'd invite me over to play cards. No one got invited over to the Mauer house to play cards. Like with his older brothers, this was like, you were getting invited like for a sit down with the Pope. Like it just didn't happen. <laughs> so everyone at school is all jealous. Like, what did you do to get friends with Mauer? And it's like, well, I guess he just is a nice guy. So like we went to go for games together. And we also had a really good chemistry on the court. And I think that helped too. Like Joe was so instinctual and so like he wouldn't play ball from like when basketball season ended because he would move right into baseball and then you're ready yeah. to training camp for football. And then he's hopping from football over to basketball. So he's kind of like, Ooh, let me see if I remember how to do this. And then he's breaking guys down off the dribble and like throwing a behind the back pass. And, and you're like, man, screw you, Joe. Like you haven't played yeah, ball in six months. So like, and we fed off each other really well. Like we, we played really well together where I was like the shooter kind of running around and, and guys were attached to me. And then Joe's playing in all the gaps and, and just being him in basketball form, just creative and instinctual and, and sleepy tough. Like people would be like, Oh, he's such a nice guy. And it's like, yeah, but don't steal it from him. Cause he'll come knock you over and like grunt at you a little bit, but then help you up and call you buddy. So like it was, <laughs> yeah, he was sneaky, sneaky like that. We wound up finishing third in the state that year. We lost the heartbreak in the state semifinals to Osseo, who wound up winning. We were everybody's pick. We I actually had a conversation with a college coach not long ago about this, of how we were like a little bit ahead of our time because we were we were shooting the tons of threes. The ball was really moving, a very unselfish group. Everybody liked us because one, we had Joe, and then I was the like mystery Canadian kid that showed up for one year and we had these other guys on the team that were just 
fantastic complimentary pieces. And we finished third in the state that year. A lot of good players in Minnesota at that time. Alan Anderson was a senior that year. Rick Rickard, who was a great player, all, all, a lot of different guys. So for me, you again, you were kind of put into this huge open water. Edmonton had good players, but it was a smaller community than Minnesota. And you got a chance to really get tossed in here and see what it was like to, to play in the American system. And I, honestly, Aaron, like it, it was it was awesome. When we played our state semifinal against Osseo, there was 8,000 people in the stands on a school day. That was special. We we had games moved from certain gyms because they were too small because of fan demand. And it was so cool because you hear about this stuff in Canada, and then you come down there and you see it's like, yeah, there's 3,500 people that want to see you play a conference game tonight because Joe Maurer's playing, Steve Sir's playing, and Mo Hargrove, who signs with the University of Minnesota, is playing. So 3,500 people, 4,000 people are going to be at the game tonight. That's just cool. Like like you said earlier, it's just goosebump stuff where you're like, oh, man, how are you not going to get up for this? Yeah, that American that American stuff for a year was uh, – it was special, and I could have gone to a different school, and it wouldn't have been as special. It was something I think we've been kind of – we've been kind of mentioning throughout our conversation here is the value of great mentors, uh, the the importance of, of – genuine people around you and how that enhances an experience and how, yeah, I worked hard, really hard in high school and and did a lot of crazy stuff to improve and and work. But there were so many guys and coaches around me that facilitated that and encouraged that and helped me in whatever way that they could. Also to just being a new guy in Minnesota also just helped me not feel as uncomfortable and shy so that I could have a great year. I mean, most most of those guys I played with, like four or five of them, I'm still close with based off of one That's year together. Nice. Like you said, sports does this. It makes you connect in ways that not a lot of other things can. And then, you know, it, it, how those bonds just continue to last through time is, is an incredible thing. Relationships, man. It's all about relationships. And it absolutely is. Also love hearing stories of just like when people look out for each other, you know, like it would have been easy for those dudes to just be like, well, he'll be our teammate and we'll figure it out. But like they went above and beyond. You know, and, yeah. and they didn't have to. And no, they didn't. That's cool, man. And I, I love those moments when I'm walking in the hall and I see like a marginalized kid and, and some kids going up and being like, come sit with us for lunch. You know, like those are the mm-hmm. cool. That's what it's all about, you know, and, and that's dope to hear, man. So how does San Diego State like why San Diego State, like how that goes? And it's it's interesting stuff, man. Yeah, I love it. My senior year, it started the recruiting stuff started to pick up a lot. Coaches would say weird things to me. If it was like, "Why well, didn't I didn't know you were actually this good?" And it's like, "Well, is it kind of annoying?" Uh, like, it part is part of you. Like, I've been doing this. Like, yeah. I've been around dudes up north in the minus forty doing it. Like, yeah. Why does it take me to be with Joe Maurer and this team? You know, I did that ever bother you? Again, I'm sure you still showed out and did your thing, but like, was it kind of just like, man, this is freaking annoying? You know. You kind of touched on that. And now you've been someone who's worn the Canadian jersey. And so you've experienced what that is. So I don't know if I'm making any sense, but. No, you are. You are. You know, I think more just a strange reflection of the time of like, you know, like there are guys that can play in our area. Like I'm convinced that if our chef group came down and played in Minnesota, we would have contended to win state. Mm. If everybody had had a chance to adapt to the speed of the game and like the general. Yeah, yeah, stay healthy. And like also, too, there was a little more of an edge to every game down in Minnesota. Not every team was great, but you were playing against more guys that were pretty good. Like we had our D1 guys, but there were a lot of guys in Minnesota that played like really good Division II schools. 
really mm-hmm. good division mm-hmm. three schools. Some guys that went played NAI that were good. So like a lot of guys were playing collegiately. So it didn't mean that like guys were rolling in and being like, Oh, I heard Joe is really like a lot of guys were across from us being like, man, screw those guys. Like we can play too. I'm convinced that our chef group would have been just fine down in Minnesota as a contending team. A little bit what was, I think, just showed the the lack of awareness of, you know, like, oh, are there other guys in Canada that can play? Of course there are. And they probably sent you stuff in on video and you dismissed it because it's from <laughs> yeah. who knows where in Canada. So I said this a lot to coaches, like, there's guys up there that can play. Look at guys up there because you might find someone that's completely under the radar that has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because no one's sending him any letters or returning his calls. So, I mean, Steve, speaking as Steve an Ash. older guy, <clears throat> Steve yeah. well, he was the one guy that everyone referenced, but then you'd have yeah. your, your random stories that weren't the fault of the athlete that would put a sour taste in their mouth. Like the reason Majerus didn't think Canadian guys could play was because Jordy McTavish hurt his knee. Yeah. Like, okay. So that means you're right off the country. Like it was just, that it was just a strange way of thinking because now you can see coaches just say like, Hey, if a guy can play, I don't care where he's at. And if he's under the radar, even better, that means I don't have to beat out six schools for him. So yeah, you got a chance to experience that year. I think of what like the recruiting process was, was really like it. You got more schools involved, uh, bigger schools that were starting to parachute in because they had scholarships available. Like Marquette recruited me hard that year. And it came down to Steve, either you're going to say yes, or we're going to take a big guy who's transferring from Mississippi state. I didn't say yes. So they took the big guy from Mississippi state. I never heard from them again. They recruited me for months. I liked their guys a lot and that you knew they were going to be good. The way that it worked was Northern Arizona recruited me really hard after Vegas. San Diego State jumped in because there was kind of shifting in the Mountain West Conference. So you, you had to have one shooter. You had to have a guy that was able to come in and break a game open. And then that year in the national final, Mike, Mike Dunleavy hit, I think, three or four threes, bam, bam, bam. And then all of a sudden coaches were like, you need that guy. You need the guy that's going to change the landscape of a game in 90 seconds. And I remember that was when San Diego State was all of a sudden like, hey, visit, hey, all this sort of stuff. So it it got aggressive quickly after that because people saw something that they thought we need and we need it now. So I visited San Diego State. And I mean, really, I think for anybody, if you visit San Diego State, it's probably done with because you're going to this incredible school in this incredible city. And you have Steve Fisher, who is the recruiter and the coach. And if you've ever sat with Steve Fisher, he's an incredible, he's just, he got the Fab Five. He's, he's recruited some incredible players. He's recruited Kawhi. Fish knows what he's doing. We got, we went to San Diego. We went to San Diego and played a bunch of colleges and we went, saw State versus USC with like Scalabrini. Oh, nice. And we're like walking into, is it, was it, a, was it Cox Arena? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, they but, changed it to yeah. Viejas Arena. Now. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And then like looking at the camp, I'm like, this is. Yeah, it's, it's legit. Like another world. Yeah. In yeah, San Diego. Legit. Like and you're in yeah. San Diego. You walk out of the gym and it's like eighty-five degrees in the east. It's like five days before Christmas and we're playing touch football on the beach and the everyone's looking at us like we're crazy because they're all bundled up and we're like, This is heaven, you know what I mean? I know. Yeah. Everyone's wearing hoodies and like boots and you're in flip-flops and yeah, like a tank top. Yeah, I know. For Canadians, you're just in heaven. Steve Fisher, man. Yeah, he was Come on. Yeah. I mean Fish was and you know what? Like to this Gordon day, just like, call them fish. Love it. I I, I, I love, love I love I love Coach Fit. Oh come on! Uh, no, he, I'm uh, just saying. Like 
Okay, I thought there was oh, blues the coming one. for a he, second. Yeah, I, the I, I, I kind of f***ed up there, so that's my bad. That's yeah. okay. This is Steve. We're talking Steve Fisher. For those that didn't know that he had, like, Steve Fisher. National champ at Michigan. and I mean, Coach Fish has one of the most unique stories, I think, in, in, in anywhere in coaching of he gets the job right before the NCAA tournament because uh, Frieder flakes out and takes the ASU job, and then he coaches – six games and wins a national championship in his life is <laughs> totally different in the span of three weeks. But, um, Crazy. he, uh, he's a wonderful man, wonderful man. And when he gives you the like side handshake and says, you know, how you doing young man? Like he just kind of pulls you in cut from that recruiting mold of, you know, him, Lou Henson, all these like older college coaches that just, you know, all had the same haircut, all wore the same yeah. suits, all talked the same. And they were just, enjoyable to be around so uh i really enjoyed playing for fish uh he was he believed in me i mean he gave me one of the best compliments i ever got was uh he said i was the best shooter he ever recruited and that included glenn rice so that just about made me fall out of my chair when he told me that yeah i know like when when i when he said that to me i was like would you mind maybe I don't know, putting that in a newspaper article or like, you know, writing, writing it down so I could show people. Yeah. Coach, have you had a few drinks today or can I actually, I'm going to get this voice recorder out. Can you say that again? Like, yeah. Glenn Say Rice. that again. Exactly Damn. how you said it. Yeah. I visited Utah after that. Utah was, I think just in a, in a tough place because they were about to go on a trip to Greece. Uh, Rick Majerus had just had surgery and he was on all this medication. So he was, he was having a hard time and, um, but one of the things that stood out uh, on both those trips was uh, I watched their guys work out at San Diego State. You know, guys were you know they're big and strong and quick, and they they put they worked. And then the same at Utah, and Utah's you know their their attention to detail was incredible of working on their skill development stuff after practice. And, um, and Jarius had that famous thing that he would do where he would watch a drill and then he would go to an assistant coach and say, "Hey, I want you to." Grab a grab a clip for him to watch tonight. 1976, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Pistons. Bob Lanier does a hook over his left shoulder in the third quarter at the four minute mark. Cut that for him. And I remember the assistant coach was like, "Yep, you got it." And uh, I said to somebody, "I was like, does he do that all the time?" And he's like, "Every day." He has this. Are you serious? It does. It's hand on the Bible. Like it's. It was. The coach, the assistant coach, was saying he does this all the time, like this photographic memory for basketball, where he would remember a sequence in a game 35 years prior, and that's what he wants to show the player because that's the the movie has to learn. So that was special, like to be able to sit there and hear that and hear that was uh, was unique in and of itself. Rick was Rick was one of a kind. After I visited San Diego State, I felt I felt good about wanting to go there. I felt I could play a role there. So I committed, uh, went to San Diego State. I redshirted my first year. I was committed to that as well. I know some people have different uh, different opinions about the redshirt year, but I I was very much behind it because I wanted to have a year where I had a chance to work on my game, to improve, to get stronger, so that when really when eligibility started going, I was ready to contribute. I think that first year, there were a couple games I could think of that were like, yeah, I could come in here and hit a couple shots. And there were a couple games where I'm sure I would not have gotten off the, ba- off the bench as a freshman, as a true freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, so that first year was uh, was a lot of that, of uh, trying to get in the weight room and be stronger, compete against the older guys. We had a bunch of guys that were really good. 
um, because we had uh, loaded up on transfers to kind of jumpstart the program with for for Coach Fisher, and uh, we wound up going to the tournament that year and losing to Illinois in the first round. But we had a lot of guys that could really play, and um, it was a good learn, really good learning experience for me of uh, what it took to play against high level athletes um and uh the kind of pace that the game was going to be at the college level the physicality the the strength the the, the speed from one end to the other um and it, it set me up for uh, for a good uh, a good following year uh, for the Aztecs how do you summarize that whole college experience and i really want to just touch on how does this whole thing come around of you in this this article of like you and the names of all these am amazing shooters? Like, I think that's so dope, right? And like when Ebe, and I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know much about you before and then Ebe brought you up. And so I like, I got off that episode and I was like, man, I gotta read about this guy. Like, what's going on here? Who's this dude from Edmonton? No chance, right? And, uh, <laughs> and then just started reading and I'm like, it's crazy, man. And so don't feel like, don't be humble, but just talk about, was it a moment? Was it the right system? I know NAU had a real big philosophy of, you know, they really started to look at like shooting a three ball, right? And maybe even touched on that and, and just mm -hmm. sort of, it's cool that you talked about that too, about the Dunleavy thing, about how that changed things. It's interesting because you, you look at basketball now and it's so built around the three, right? Super interesting. Like we're no longer trying to draft Michael Candy. Like we'll risk it on a guy who we think can shoot it before yeah. we'll take a big, right? So your story is so unique, man. And I, I'm just that part of, and I don't want to fast forward through too many things, but I just think like, no, it's okay. that part of it is just like, it's so dope. It's so cool. And why the transfer and, and why the move, right? Like mm -hmm. why, you know, why did you decide to do that? That's part of your journey too. No, you're hundred percent right, Aaron. I mean, like if you can pinpoint these small moments in time where you feel like is this changing something mm -hmm. it's big in the moment but you don't know if it's like that small pebble that falls that creates the big avalanche that that makes things it makes everything change but the dunleavy thing i remember at the time the tone with college coaches started to change just a hair but it started to change where it was just like do you realize that guys who can shoot can do that where the game's in question and now the game's done and it, it's that quick now, it doesn't work out for everybody like that, but I remember watching the Dunleavy thing and thinking, like, boy, like that, <laughs> kind of like the Anchorman thing, like, boy, that escalated quickly, where he just goes bam, bam, bam. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. <laughs> and it's like a game is now out of reach. I knew that was what San Diego State was, was, was thinking of can you find somebody like that and then can you really harness that and, and put it for our system my first year at san diego state you know i i, I redshirted obviously like i said and then the following year um i started quite a few games and, and had a had a pretty good freshman year we had a really memorable game where we played arizona on espn when arizona was ranked number one at home our first sellout Luke Walton was on the was on Arizona. Jason Gardner, Channing Frye, Andre Godala, like they yes. were just loaded. And um, Bill Walton was on the call, so it was one of those like special moments where you're like, in 30 years, I'm going to remember this. There were those moments sprinkled throughout that that season in San Diego State. I got hurt that season, and it was not a good one. I had a groin injury that just 
would not go away that later got diagnosed as a sportsman's hernia, where it was kind of like this, this hernia that was pushing down on my groin constantly and wasn't allowing my, my leg to heal and uh, caused me to play hurt for that for a decent portion of that season, which was fine. I mean, that's, that's part of, I think, playing high level basketball is you got to be willing to play hurt in order to, to, to stay on the court. But then, you know, heading into the summer, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I couldn't find the right things uh, to get healthy. Then uh, finally died. We finally diagnosed it. We had surgery. There was this thing in me that even though there were a lot of great moments at San Diego state, and I really admired and respected and enjoyed playing for coach Fisher. I always did kind of feel like in my gut, NAU was where I was supposed to be. They had that thing that I'm sure Mavis might have mentioned on, on his on his turn with you guys was uh, their motto was recruit to shoot. And, um, you know, it, their their system was built around similar way that we played when I was in high school. Uh, a lot of reading and reacting motion, difficult stuff to guard, counteractions to everything. It, they found success with it, but it was difficult for me in a system like that where it was more built around we're going to get up and down and we're going to probably just rely on a lot of lot of uh, creativity, which was not how I played in, in college. I was more of a read screens and try and space the floor and, and read and react. And, and a lot of the stuff we were doing in San Diego State was uh, was just a different brand of basketball than that. And you could still find success in it, but NAU just felt more like where I should be. So I took a little bit of a risk. I wasn't unhappy at San Diego State. I just felt like I'm going to improve and, and be the player I want to be playing in Northern Arizona. So I would, wouldn't give up my time at San Diego State because of some of the people that I met and the experiences I had. But uh, going to NAU was the best thing I could have done. We had a, a wonderful, like a great team, like a lot of guys that really just bled for each other and, and bought into the idea of of really being a team, which is oftentimes at college, not always, not always going to happen. We played a great brand of basketball where we learned to like read and react and, and use maybe some of your physical shortcomings as act, as advantages of, you know, if I can, if I'm not going to beat you in a foot race, it doesn't necessarily matter on a full length of a court, but I can beat you on a back cut or I can beat you on a screen or I can beat you on a read. And that was a, that was a great way to play a, a really fantastic way to play. So I had two and a half seasons at NAU. Two of those years, we lost in the conference final to go to the NCAA tournament, which is probably a burn that's going to stick with me and everybody else on that team for the rest of our lives. But uh, yeah, um, it was a great place to play basketball. Flagstaff was a cool city, and the guys on our team were fantastic people, and uh, it was uh, it was it was a special experience. And you still haven't touched on all that crazy stuff, man. Like your the numbers shootings? are bananas. Oh, dude. the shoot, yeah, yeah. Your numbers are bananas. I, everybody just, like, give it a look up. It's I, I was trying to figure out how I was going to talk to you about it, but I don't really know how to put it into words because it's pretty actually friggin' phenomenal. Is it just an inner confidence? Is it just the right system? Is it a bunch of luck? Is it people making the right reads? It's all of that. But when you get hot and it's going hot, is it on your mind or is it just like keep putting in the work that I've put in and I'll see what happens? You know, obviously, when you're when you're having one of those special days, if you're in the zone, uh, everything feels right. The basket feels gigantic. You could, you know, throw a beach ball in there and it would probably go in. But um, 
you know, I, I think a lot of it, Aaron, had to do with uh, some of the habits that I started to create when I was in high school. When I started to get serious with basketball, uh, one thing that was a game changer for me was I got a gift at Christmas one year, uh, Steve Nash's book, Long Shot. And yes. um, it's just a great book. It's a simple read. It's, you know, got all this stuff. But like, you have to remember, I mean, you're, you're from the same era. Like we didn't have the internet in the way that we have now where you could like see what guys did on the court and you could learn so much about what they were doing. So like when you had a chance to see what tidbits of what guys were doing and what they talked about, you had to just eat it up because I wanted to be a division one basketball player. So in my mind in high school, that meant that I better learn every single thing I can learn about what it takes to be that. Like when you talk to young players about, you know, I want to play pro or I want to do this, I want to do that. Then learn everything you can about it. Find guys that you think are you're similar to find people who play like you and learn everything you can about what they do to be there or what they've done along the way to be there. Because if you want to be something, you got to learn about it first. And what Nash did for us, and I mean, you're right in that area. So, you know, is his, the whole book was just, he was just relentless. He was so persistent in the pursuit of a goal of I'm going to sneak into gyms. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, if I haven't got my shots up, I just feel weird. I, I got to go to the gym. And if I'm tired today, I'm going to make free throws. And that's what I did my best to adapt. Um, so I started doing that thing of, you know, I slept with my basketball in high school and I, I wanted to make my routine in high school was I ran three suicides after every workout. And I tried to make a thousand to 1500 shots every night. Like that was my routine because that's what I thought it was going to take in order to get to the division one level and be, and be a great shooter. So I wasn't the best athlete. And this was also during the 90s when shooting a 1,000 shots every day was a badge of honor. I mean, you remember, man, if, if you're reading <laughs> Slam and, you know, Al Harrington is in punks. Al Harrington's like, yeah, I make a 1,000 shots a day and I play one-on-one -on -one full court to 100. Mm. And you're like, well, holy shit, man, I'm not doing any of that. So, like, yeah. <laughs> and he's 6'8 and a way better athlete than me. So what chance do I got? So that's what I started adapting in high school. Like, I had my routine – Every night where I would go come home from practice and then I'd go and shoot and then I'd come out of my basement, I'd skip rope. I had a shooting routine that I'm sure my, I've never really shared with anybody where I thought this was going to improve my follow through where I would, I'll show you on the camera, where I would put my wrist against the wall and I would push like this and I would do that 200 times every night on my right hand and my left hand because I thought that's going to strengthen my follow through. Like this was a throw a lot of things at the wall and just whatever sticks, just keep doing it and just trust it and trust throw, it and trust throw it. Throw the spaghetti. That's right, man. I think that's what that's to bring it back to the NAU thing. It was the right system with the right teammates who we had the, and, and the right coaches built along with those habits and that routine uh, and persistence that I feel I was able to develop for myself in high school, where it was, I'm going to work out before practice. I'm going to work out mm -hmm. after practice, even if it's just 50 shots. I'm going to run an extra sprint. And I might get made fun of because that did happen a lot where I would run an extra sprint and guys would laugh at me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to do that. Like if, you know, everybody says there's no secrets to the game, I'm going to tell you a secret. And you probably know this secret. The best players work out before practice and the best players work out after practice. One of the two, if not both. And that's a consistent with all the great players and all the guys who have done things at high levels is they, they it's important enough to them that they're going to stay when they're tired. And it's important enough to them that they're going to get tired before they have to do the practice. And I think when you mash all those things together, that's what led to me shooting the ball at a really high level was that's how I trained. 
That was the system I played in. That's what my teammates expected of me. And uh, it was not my goal to, to set the NCAA record or to lead the nation in a statistical category. But I felt if I did those things on a daily basis and you just outwork the other people that might be in a similar position, that you're going to be the one that comes out on top. And um, looking back on it now, I think it was it was the only way. I don't know if it was necessarily the right way and it would work for everybody, but it was the only way that I thought I could get it done and be successful. If there's a young hooper out there, those last two minutes and 12 seconds, <clears throat> take him to church, Steve, sir. That is, uh, <laughs> that's about as... Thanks, Aaron. There's some takeaways. That's about as good as it gets. So I hope someone out there heard that, even if it's just one or two people, because that's, that's liquid gold right there, man. Holy smokes. Don't want to fast track, but super aware of time and everything. I mean... No, fast track it. Like... Well, you end up getting paid to play basketball, which is super dope. Like, yeah, fun. you know, like get to see the world. You get to see Switzerland, Germany, you end up going back to Switzerland, Mexico, like Romania. That's amazing. But the thing that I'm interested in is how does the three on three thing come around? I'm super intrigued about this. Because I really, really loved and appreciated how Canada basketball highlighted you guys. Like mm -hmm. I thought they did a good job, the best they could of sharing highlights and, and 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 pumping you guys up as you should. You know, talk about how that came around, man. It's super cool. Sidebar: Do you see yourself coaching one day? Yeah. Yeah. Not on the radar. Sorry, random question. No, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I do. You just got um, that mind. You have that mind. You can. You, like I, I can connect with you and hear what you're saying, and I'm like. He sees the game like he sees the game. I was not an athlete no, either. So. I was like had to survive in a different way, right? So, yeah, you know, just, uh, yeah, that's like a five-party question. Take it away. <laughs> that's okay. No, I like it. You know, when 515 was done for me, I, I was fortunate to have some pretty cool experiences. But uh, when it was at the end, I was ready for it to be done. I mean, my last yeah. job in Romania was miserable. We weren't because... getting paid. It, we weren't getting paid. Our coach was a nut, like just a nut. And... <laughs> We were doing all this weird stuff in practice, and it was one of those things where it was like, you know. And you're how old? Oh man, I'm 33. You know, yeah, like, like I'm I'm getting older, and just, I'm away yeah. I'm away from my wife, and and it was you know we were just about to have our second second child, and you know we had these weird schedules where we're like we're practicing in the morning at 10, but then we're not practicing until the evening until like nine. And then we're practicing from like 9 to 11.30 because we want the gym last so no one can kick us off. And then like we're at the gym till 1 in the morning and then you're back in the gym and not. It was brutal. So at the end of that, I was just, you know, I feel like I'm ready to be done. And then the Bucks called me to come play in summer league that summer. You know, the funny thing, when they called me, they were like, you know, take some time to think about it. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, no, I'm coming. Like now, can I come now? So <laughs> it was, uh, that happened in Vegas it was an incredible experience. And I really felt after that, I was like, I think I'm, this is as good as it's going to get. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be done with five on five. So from there, That's I still felt so cool, man. Yeah, it was cool. It was to be that, to, to wear it on the chest and to, to be on an NBA floor in, in some shape or form was uh, hard to put into words. It was, it was so special. And I, I felt that in the moment where it was like, I can't probably recreate That's this cool. feeling where you know i'm gonna be in an if in a different country it's not gonna feel like this so it might be time to be done 
Um, but I still feel like I had good basketball to play and something left to offer uh, physically. So we had been involved in 3x3 in, in Edmonton for, for a few years. Uh, we'd been running our little tournament in, in, uh, in Edmonton through Alberta basketball. And there had been rumblings of um, rumblings that 3x3 was going to be an Olympic sport, small rumblings. And my dad, who's the executive director of Alberta basketball, uh, had gone to a meeting in Denver in 2011, I think. And they had said, like, guys, like, this is going to happen. Maybe 2020, maybe, probably 2024. And he came back and said, you know, we're going to commit to this game. We're going to commit to the new rules because the 3x3 was becoming more up-tempo and faster and more dynamic. We're going to commit to the ball that everybody hated at the time. And we're just going to we're just going to go for it because this is going to be a big deal. The team that was playing at the time, the Canadian team, uh, Team Saskatoon, they were kind of at the, the forefront of it. Guys, they had finished their college careers at University of Saskatchewan and they were uh, – they weren't pursuing the five-on-five stuff, so they got involved in 3x3. Was that Linklater? That was Linklater. Yep, that was Mike Linklater, Mike yeah. Leifers, and Nolan Brudel. So, yeah, that was Mike Linklater, yeah. uh, Mike Leifers, and, and Nolan Brudel. So Mike Linklater reached out to me and said, you know, hey, do you do you want to get involved in 3x3 as a player? I think you could fit fit the profile and, you know, have you given it any thought? And it, it intrigued me because it looked one, it just looked like fun. Like, you know, the game was, was quick and fast and physical and uh, it, it seemed intriguing. So I went out to Saskatoon a couple of times and, and practiced with them and it seemed to fit. And I really enjoyed the style. And I thought, you know, I'll give this a shot. Like I'll, I'll do this for a summer. Um, we'll see how it fits. And, uh, you know, why not? Could be, could be just a fun thing to do with, with the kids and, and with Kate. So, uh, we went out to Saskatoon for a big tournament out there, a Masters tournament. Uh, we did really well. Then we uh, we played in Prague, and then we played in Switzerland in Lausanne, and then um, we finished uh, finished the season up playing in uh, in Beijing. So that was my intro That's to three x three. And by the end of it, I was like, I really like this. This is fun. It's different. It's just kind of alive. the The style of play was so different than five on five. So especially with the Olympics possibly being behind it everyone was kind of like 95 percent sure but there was always still that thing of if it hadn't been officially announced you didn't quite know so the following year i was i was all in on it we were going to get a little bit more serious uh we were going to try and play more events because we, we'd only played in about five or six events in in the first year uh so uh the olympics were officially added to tokyo 2020 so there was that added motivation behind it and then uh we started playing a lot we played in um variety of tournaments and challengers and if you win in challengers in 3x3 that qualifies you for masters tournaments which are the big money tournaments and big point tournaments uh we played in the world cup in the philippines uh and finished sixth uh which was awfully special and then um we you know we, we pushed through the season uh and once we got to the end of the season uh one of the things that we struggled with was you know three of our guys being in saskatoon and me being here uh, we just we couldn't get the preparation time that we needed. Uh, guys had different things going on in their lives. Um, and, you know, three on three in certain areas of the world was inching towards professionalization where like, you know, guys weren't doing anything but three on three. Damn. And while we were playing three on three on a, on a professional schedule, it, we weren't practicing as a group the way that other teams who were all in the same city or in at least a much closer radius were practicing. And you and it was starting to show the dedication that other countries and teams were putting towards the sport was just starting to separate themselves of, you know, this is a professional sport now, it's an Olympic sport now. 
so with that in mind, broke out on my own and, and started a team Edmonton and wanted to get guys primarily from Alberta so that we could put an actual uh, real strategy behind this of how we're going to practice and prepare. Um, obviously, the Olympics was still the goal of we needed to not only uh, play as much as we could, we needed to win. And then through that, we needed to earn as many points as we could for Canada in order to qualify Canada for the Olympic qualifying tournament. With three on three being a points based system um, and not a huge 3x3 presence in our country, the majority of the points were going to have to come from us. Myself, Kyle Landry, Jordan Jensen White, and uh, Jordan Baker started out on it, put some of our own money down at the beginning of the season to go out to China and play. And we got, we had some good results. We went to Malaysia, had really good results, and that qualified us for other tournaments. And after that, that, that set us on our course. And we played a full season that summer. We played from April to almost November. We probably played in about 13 or 14 different countries. We played in China three or four times. And it was... It was taxing, but we earned we earned enough points to qualify Canada or have a large amount of our points allow Canada to to earn a spot into the OQT. Our country had 10 million points and our team had 6 million of them. That was awfully rewarding that we set out to do that and and it was it was what we got it what we got done and then after that we were going about preparing for the Olympic qualifier in 2020. It was going to be held in India. And we went to Serbia for a training camp. We played in Slovenia. We were going back to Serbia. And then COVID happened and it shut everything down. And that pretty much brought us up to now, where then we had to navigate this year and, and try and figure out what we were going to do, all while everything just seemed to get more and more complicated uh, through throughout the world. Also, like, just get to go to so many cool spots like places and yeah it's interesting man like oh, who, Aaron, who would ever thought it was an amazing yeah thing. right amazing yeah thing. and then i know that little how you guys just finished up a little bit bitter did you ever like think about your hoops journey from uh the beginning to end it's pretty wild man like you're you're an epitome of the show for sure in terms of what's come and gone and like to be able to just know all right you know what I'm I'm good to walk away from five on five. Like you call it five on five, not even basketball. I'm I'm good to walk away from five on five. And then to craft yourself and sort of change things. And from the the little bit of the three on three that I've watched, I find it super cool how like you would just like I think when people hear three on three, they think like, okay, hoop check the ball up. You know what I mean? And it's like not like that at all. Yeah, hoop it up exactly. Like it's not like that at all. It's, it's actually freaking wild. I'm telling you, man, like it, it's You've watched, you've watched a little bit, so you know it's still a young sport in our country, and it's going to mm-hmm. hopefully have more eyes on it after the Olympics. Um, I know it's starting to catch on with people where they're seeing, mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, like this is looks pretty cool, and it looks kind of legit. It's tough. Like uh, The best way I could summarize it is it's an, in its, it's an adversity-filled sport. Um, you don't play at home. You know, like if we have a home tournament, we're lucky to have a home tournament. Mm. If you play in Montreal or you play in Edmonton at a, at a tournament, yeah, we're if you get to play West Edmonton Mall. Mall for a weekend, that's the closest yeah. thing you'll get. A little bit of a different background than uh, yeah, San Diego the backdrop's State or a little North different. Arizona, right? Like people are at Lululemon. Like, <laughs> you're, yeah. exactly, you're exactly right. Man. <laughs> Got the wave pool in the so back. So you have, you have <laughs> the Apple Store right behind, right behind yeah. the hoop. So it, it's a sport. I think that in order to be successful, you have to be willing to accept a great deal of adversity. You Travel is a part is a huge part of it right now. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to go to China. You're going to have to go to Malaysia. You're going to have to go to uh, have to go to uh, Mongolia. You're going to have to go to Romania, Slovenia, Serbia. 
You're going to have to leave on a Wednesday, get there on Thursday, rest and practice on Friday, play on Saturday, play on Sunday, get back on the plane on Monday. That's a really hard thing to do. And I know like at the beginning of a season, guys are excited for it. They're pumped. You're tired. You're jet lagged. But you're going to be okay because you're psyched. You do that for three, four, five months and you repeat it. And then maybe you stay somewhere for two or three weeks and you get just all out of whack. It doesn't change. You still got to go play. It doesn't change. You still have to prepare. So it's a sport that, you know, you're, you're in different places. You're eating different food. You're not sleeping in your bed. You maybe had, I don't know, bad travel experience or the flight got delayed or, or who knows what. You have to get used to rolling with a lot of punches. And then when it's time to play, being ready to play. If you can accept that, then you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Because it's just so different than five on five where it's like, hey, we arrived before the day before the game and we have shoot around and we have pregame meal and then we go play. And then, you know, we have practice on Monday. It's it's a lot of airplanes and it's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of contact in the sport. It's an awfully physical sport. It's awfully quick. Mm -hmm. There's some inconsistencies at times between events on, on what you can expect from officiating. Officials do a great job, but it's one of the harder things when you have tournaments in all these different areas and everyone's calling them uh, the best that they can, depending on on what's happening at that tournament. So there's going to be a lot of adversity in it. The last thing I would say is a lot of the guys that are involved in 3x3 um, have a little bit of the cowboy thing of, you know, they played 5 on 5. They had some success in five on five, but everyone has a story of, of like, oh man, I was playing five on five and it was, it was, you know, I couldn't find the right team. I was playing for this crazy guy. I saw three on three and I was like, I'm going to do this because I love basketball. You know, I was getting hurt playing five on five mm. and then I found this. I'm going to do this. Like there's a little bit of the renegade stuff almost in every area and guys who were successful with the sport because they got involved with three on three when there was a little bit of money, but like the Olympics were a pipe dream. The money wasn't big yet. There was still a lot of travel. You're playing outdoors. The rules still kind of hadn't fallen into like a finalized thing. So it was awfully rough, but you're playing because you love to play and you really love to hoop. And that was one of the things that drew me into it was like, mm. this is just fun because guys are showing up and it's just like, I want to hoop. Yeah, I want to win money. And yeah, I want to play in the Olympics one day, but I just mm -hmm. want to play. I think for anybody who hasn't experienced yet, it's a lot of fun to experience, and I hope that people would play it because once you play it, you, you step away from it, you goes like, you, it, man, the pace is fast. Man, the game is hard. Man, can you get in shape quick playing it? And man, does it play a place an emphasis on being an efficient basketball player? There's no time to like dribble, 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 dribble. You have to shoot, pass it, attack the basket, or move on. Mm. And then you got to do it, and you got to flip right around, and you got to play defense hard. Otherwise, a guy's just going to get it and just jam it right yeah. down your throat. Yeah. So I love how it simplifies the game of just like, hey, what's there? Take it. Don't overcomplicate this. Shot fake it. Get into the paint. Somebody comes, kick it for a shot. If they don't come, get to the rack. And then turn it right around and fight on defense. And I mean like fight, like really get in there and compete. So I think it's great mm -hmm. for young players. Like the idea of like everyone gets more touches. Everyone's a ball player. Everyone's involved. I love it for, for guys who know the game because then they can get really creative with the speed of the game and how that ball can move and cutting and screening and stuff away from it, one-on-one -on -one stuff. You can get so creative. And then just for people who love to play basketball, you can come to a place and you got five other guys and you can get a great hour of runs and you're, you're going to be dog tired and you're going to chance to like post up, shoot a three, 
guard everybody. It's just, it's all corners of it. And I yeah. think that's, that's one of the reasons why it's just such a fantastic game. That's cool. And then like, you know, as a grown man too, like you're like a traveling rock band, but you're playing a sport. And then like, you only got three other dudes, like gotta oh, get somewhat on. get along, man. Like you, it's not like, it's not like you have 12 guys where it's like, okay, maybe there's a couple starters I don't see totally. eye to eye with, but we can still hoop together and there's nine other, you know, mm-hmm. it's like there's four of us, like four of us trying to figure this out. The, man. Like, honestly, Aaron, you unique. hit it on the head, man. The, the best analogy is a band because you're traveling to all these different places, yeah. you're grumpy, you're missing whoever you have at home. You know, mm-hmm. one guy's playing great, so he's happy, and another guy's kind of struggling, and he's pissed. So, like... You have to try and find a way to, to balance these things. And, you know, one guy could be super pumped of like, I've never been to China before. This is fun. And the other guy on, on the team is like, I've been here six times. Ugh, I can't stand it. You know, like, so there there are those things where, and this is where the game is still wonderful right now is it's your choice to put a team together. It's your choice to try and chase this. Now you got to get in there and you got to mm-hmm. win because if you don't win, you're not going to get into tournaments. And it's a very much like win, move on, lose, We'll see what we can do for you. But you better have your like your guys with you, which is still a great thing about it because it's it's professionalized. Yeah. Let's go to the gym and hoop. And, you know, and, and and then you just have to put your money where your mouth is. So you learn awfully quick if they're your guys. Once you've done five or six of these trips, you're staying in different hotels, you're waiting on a bus that's late, you're waiting on this that's canceled, and it's like Oh man, we got to play when. So you find out awfully quick who's who's really invested in it, and it, it helps to have the guys that uh, that you want to spend a lot amount of time with. I mean, like for myself, Kyle and, and Jordan White, we spent a ton of time with each other over these last couple of years, and you couldn't really have asked for two better guys because, like, I played with Kyle in college, so we've known each other for a long time and we've always been close. But I mean, Jordan's a significantly younger guy than than me and Kyle. He's a wonderful person that you know through this we've created uh, we've created a strong yeah. friendship and and i think uh like like you were saying uh you better be ready to spend a lot of time together on these trips and, and do these kinds of things because if you don't like each other the the on-court's going to suffer immediately and that was one of the reasons we we did well is because yeah. uh, we really had a strong bond away from the game yeah love it good stuff jay white we're coming for you too boy i got your number Check out the WhatsApp. We're coming for you. You're going to be like episode like 65. It. You better be ready. Corbs, got a couple questions for Steve before we move to the lightning round here. That's for, that is for the lightning round, but Oh, it is for the lightning round. Just All a couple right. maybe possible additions. You ready? I think so. I hope so. Okay. What's the greatest chip? Oh, man, you know, I was really wrestling with this. I'm excited for this part of the show. Very excited because, you know, I said this to my wife, and I think we both kind of said a lot. Like, I I really enjoy All Dressed. I like All Dressed chips. They're really good. I mean, if they open up, like, I'll eat my kids All Dressed chips. I like them that much, you know, and, like, run the risk of them being really pissed at me. The the meltdown. Yeah, you'll take the meltdown. I'll take it. Wow. I'm mad at that. I am not. I was gone. We were we did a camp for a month to lead up to this OQT. I didn't have any chips while I was over there. So I came home and I think I one of my first days here, I ate my daughter's chips. I was like, yeah, she won't notice. <laughs> she noticed like immediately. So <laughs> and I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? They're really good. Yeah. What do you are is Fair. that is that an acceptable answer? Uh, very much so. Okay, oh, good. Yeah. All right. All dresses. Okay. Top three. Top easy. Three. Okay. Easy. What are the other what are the other oh, yeah. what are the other no, no main question. choices usually? 
I'm going Doritos, nacho cheese, the red bag. I'm a sucker for ketchup. But I mean, like chips, you have to rotate them. You can't, you know what I mean? Like you need some variety. That's what this. Like if you just ate all dressed for two weeks, you'd be talking like this and the roof of your mouth would be burnt. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) yeah, good call. If you're snacking, if you're snacking and it's been a while, there's no shame in all dress. All dress are up there. No question. They're big time. Right, Corpse? Oh, 100%. That's distinctly not, Canadian, question. too. Yeah, exactly. Ketchup chips and address are distinctly Canadian. Yeah. Todd McCullough is missing those down in Washington. Who's been some of the most important people in your life? You touched on a lot of coaches and mentors, but, uh, you know, anyone that you've missed up to this point? My dad, I know I mentioned him before, but, you know, he's, he's obviously my first coach and, and still I'm lucky to play and very fortunate to play at M38, but he still tells me to hold my follow through and use my legs. So... He's uh, always, always stood by me with that. I'd say, you know, a guy who I've spent a ton of time with in the last couple of years, he did, he helped me get ready for summer league with the Bucks. George Hoyt, who's the coach at Ainley. I knew George a little bit. And then he worked me out when I came home from Romania and it was a great workout. And I was like, George, would you help me get ready for this? And he said, yep. And he met me every day. Like one day specifically, great, great story from George, just the kind of guy he is. He's a principal at a junior high and they had their graduation and we had scheduled a workout that night at Scona. So not a school I went to or he went to. He found someone at the school to let us into the small gym because it was the only gym we could find. He raced over from graduation in his suit, got right out of the truck, like got in the gym. He was like, hey, he was a couple minutes late. So he was like super apologetic, ripped the suit off, threw his shirt on, threw the shorts on, threw the shoes. And he was like, all right, that corner, you're making this, you're making that. And he pushed me in a way that I probably had really hadn't been pushed since, since high school, where he was, we're in there two, two and a half hours, or I'm running all over the gym ragged, his son's pushing me off cones. And, and he did that through all three, three on three too. He's just, and he's never asked for anything in return, never wanted any, any public thanks or any acknowledgement. He just would meet me, work me, work me out. And he does this for a lot of guys. He does this for so many guys in the city. So he's, he's another, another person. And then I'd probably say the last one would be, um, my mom and my wife specifically, like my wife is my, uh, you know, it's a Paul Simon song. She loves me like a rock. Like she just, she's just my person. And she supported me through all of this mm-hmm. ups and downs and goods and bads and in and outs. Like she's stood by me and she's told me the things I needed to hear when I didn't want to hear them. She's patted me on the back when I needed it. And, you know, like this three on three thing, she was heavily involved with because she was the first person that figured the point system out before I did. And uh, that's hilarious. A lot of this, I know this, a lot of it was her and she's, you know, we're sitting at our kitchen table figuring out what we need to do to qualify Canada. So, yeah, she's. uh, I don't mean to laugh. No, I know. It's it's just a part of the story. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. That's so very much uh, just uh, love it, man. Corbs, you're up. First one. What you got? Um, this is again. That's a. This is like a fun one. Um, hobby you wish you could start. Ooh, hobby I wish I could start playing the piano. Um, that was always something I wished I could do when I was when I was young. I played a musical instrument growing up, but it wasn't a. It wasn't. It was a string instrument, and the piano was always one that I wished that I would have just said like, you know what, I'm going to learn. I'm going to take two, three solid years and learn. So, um, that that was one. Yeah, piano. Love a good piano. There we go. Okay, so that ties into the next one then. Dead or alive, what's the concert? You got oh, you and you man. and the wife. You got babysitters, you're good. You're at uh you're at the best arena in the world. You got the best seat in the house. 
Not, not just one. It doesn't have to be one. Who, who are a few? Dead or alive. Um, this was the question I was really pumped for. I talked to a few people about this uh, before before we did this. Yes. One would probably be just because I was makes us feel yeah. Good. I mean, makes I was when I saw this question, yeah, I, was, yeah. I might have fist pumped because like this was uh, this was a good one. Um, <laughs> I was a big Nirvana fan growing up, so I would kind of thought that uh, Nirvana Unplugged would have been a really fun one to be at. Oh yeah, because I loved I loved Nirvana Unplugged and. All those songs are pretty sweet, so I kind of felt like that would have been a great concert to be at. Mm-hmm. I really was into Rage Against the Machine, still kind of am of Rage Against the Machine. We were set to go see them last year, and then they were here in Edmonton, and of course it got canceled for COVID. No way. So like early, all the all the bad words, yeah. That's right. Oh, early like early nineties, like when they're just getting started, like whiskey a go go, super angry. At like an LA yes. club, like that. If I didn't get my ass kicked, I think it would probably be a successful evening. But <laughs> and then there was one other one I was thinking about. I took a Jamaican music class in college, and we obviously talked a bunch about Bob Marley. I liked Bob Marley, but that got me really into Bob Marley. And there was that uh, One Love Peace concert that he did in '78, where it was there was all the political upheaval at the time with the civil war in the country, and he was doing the song and talking about unity and unification and people coming together. And then he jumped. Have you guys ever seen this? And the bolt of lightning went across the sky. It's like, it looks like it's a movie where he's like spinning and spinning. And then he jumps and a bolt of lightning shoots across the sky. I'm telling you guys like Google it. It's like uh, this bone chilling thing where it looks like Bob Marley, like wills lightning out of the sky to like unify Jamaica probably did i'm kind of on the side of like he probably did he's bob marley Mm -hmm. but like that concert would have i think just for that moment alone but like also just to see bob marley in concert would have been uh would have been amazing i think too like you listen to his lyrics like they're still relevant today totally stuff he's talking Uh about right like it's crazy man he's 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 timeless i was just gonna say he'll he'll be relevant in any era yeah any era what about you guys me concert flipping it on i am gonna flip it on you guys oh boy oh my goodness i'm interested okay so like i'm a huge hip-hop guy but like (laughs) i've seen i don't know if you know who city and color is yeah it used to be alexis on fire i've seen them like three times like dallas green played i saw them at the orpheum here in town he played like five different guitars i was like this dude is not human his, he's got the voice of an angel as far as I'm concerned. He's super talented. I, he'd really be up talented. There. Definitely going to say outcast. Like Andre 3000 is like a god yeah. to me. I just think he's got so much like to mm-hmm. him. And my mom, rest in peace. She was a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Okay. So if her and I, her and I could go see the boss in like Philly. That's a great choice. Great wow. Yeah, great you didn't think any of those were coming up <laughs> no you know Out, you know outcast i mean outcast coming, i felt i felt like was pretty pretty standard but yeah what about you corbs oh what you boy. got oh boy um i would have loved to see leonard skinnerd okay okay yeah, Leonard Skinner. Wow. I would have. Oh man, I, I don't. I don't know why, but I. Bee Gees live. Man, did you see the HBO documentary on the Bee Gees? There's an HBO documentary. You should on the watch Bee Gees? it. It's really cool. 
Oh man, I grew up on the Bee Gees. Yeah, and, watch that man. It's and, fun. Uh, really fun. Yeah, oh, I think that's on my t- uh, on my watch uh-huh. right after this. Uh, and I'll say my third one. Oh, this is tough, yeah, man. This is tough. I would say uh, Genesis. Okay. Wow. Phil. Okay. Phil is great. All right. Not mad at that. Nice choices. Nice work, Corpse. Well done, man. Well done. Nice choices, guys. Well done. Oh, cheers. Thanks. Are you a big reader? I do enjoy a good book. So what's what's the book that stands out to you recently that you've read that you would recommend to someone or, or for life? I've been reading a couple books about the the science and healing powers of breathing lately. Someone got me in. They got me this book called The Oxygen Advantage of like how we were over breathers and this is actually bad for our species. And that was super interesting. So I've been trying a lot of breathing and freaking people out with that, which has been good around my house. Um, How's that going for you? Not bad. I, my, I use the... Is it like a beyond a meditation thing? Yeah, kind of. Like, I, it like kind of led me into like it? reading yeah. about transcendental meditation and like mantra-based stuff. And uh, it has me very curious about some of it. I use this thing called a whoop for like data tracking and like sleep performance. And since I've been doing the breathing mm-hmm. stuff, my whoop's gotten a lot better. So in and of itself, wow. I'm, I'm appreciative for that. I did just read like yeah. the definitive Muhammad Ali book by a guy named Thomas Hauser. And... Um, it was like 450 pages and like really in depth and wasn't all glowing about Ali. And it was mm-hmm. fantastic. Like it was, it was an incredible read about, you know, his life and his charisma and the people that took advantage of him and his inability to say no. And that was, that was a special, that was a great read because, you know, we've obviously all seen the like, you know, rope a dope and, you know, all the, trash talk on youtube and things like that but like to really read about the substance of the human and uh how kind he was and how giving he was and then also the things that tormented him was uh was a really great read um i'm reading this book now called the mvp machine that i actually have here uh which is a lot of fun because it talks about player development in baseball oh i know that book. yeah it's it's a great read i mean it talks about all the Mm -hmm. great stuff like why do certain players just improve when others don't and it obviously talks about grit. I know grit is a to- is a popular thing with 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 people. Mm-hmm. It just talks about like you know what guys are willing to and not willing to do, and how that separates players, and you know the years invested in the sport, and the you know Malcolm Gladwell stuff of like ten thousand hour rule, and how that applies to mm-hmm. baseball. Thanks for the book recommendations. Always great because I'm trying to be a better reader, and I know I just love when. People that are like-minded make suggestions. It makes life easier to uh, pick a book. But what do you really think about ketchup on macaroni? Oh, I don't do it. You know, like no issue with people who do. It's just never a road I've traveled down. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, peace, peace be with you if you do it. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna like look at you like you're a freak at the table if you, if you go for the ketchup. But I've just never done it. Kids included, not allowed, no ketchup. No, like if right? they were into yeah. it, I mean, same type of thing. Like, go for it, kids. Like, if it means yeah. eat, I mean, you know this, Aaron. Like, if it means eat their lunch, I'm all for it. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Whatever they have to do, if as long as it gets finished and there's no food on the plate, I'm I'm completely behind it. But uh, for yeah. me, nah. We had macaroni the other day, no ketchup on the plate. Nah. What about you guys? 
Oh God, oh, no! You guys are anti ketchup. Oh, hard, yeah, I don't. Hard, hard, hard. No, hard, I, I'm no. A, I, I love my ketchup, not on macaroni. No, I eat ketchup. Yeah, oh. I'm nothing against ketchup. Just not a macaroni thing. Love it. We got two go questions, but we're going to introduce Corb for one more in between. Who's the greatest player you've played against? Do you think? Ooh, that's a tough question. There's a few guys I would throw out there, but I, I would say um, one guy that I played against. That was like a, I think like a popular choice if you've played against him. His name was Salim Stoudemire. Yes. Uh, he played at University of Arizona. He was unbelievable, and you could do nothing with him because he was like a fifty percent three point shooter, and he was incredibly quick too. So he was he was awfully special. The guy who played at San Diego State, his name was Randy Holcomb. He had a little bit of time in the NBA, and he was like six nine and lefty, and like when he was focused, the man he was so mean and like physical. He had a game. We played at Duke my freshman year when I registered that I, I got to go on the trip, and he had 29-15 against Duke. That was like Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer, Dante Jones, Mike Dunleavy. He was Randy was fantastic. So I'd probably give a lean to one of those two guys. Um, yeah. he, he, those guys were just great. Both lefties. Both lefties. There you go. Mm-hmm. Corbs, you're up. Round two. Okay, I think uh, a general consensus could be made that, uh, you know, Steve, you are elite at shooting. What is something that you are not elite at? What is the polar opposite skill that you have in your life? In my life in general? Could be in general, could be just, you know, What are you not fun elite one. at? I've never been able to... Skating? I've never been able to do a cartwheel. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I've ne- like, I tried it once, and it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, and I've never tried it again, so... If someone yep. said today, like, hey, man, cartwheel or, I don't know, you lose a limb, like, it would be like, I could probably get around on one leg because it's just, <laughs> it's it's ugly. It's ugly. I think I'm the only kid in my elementary school who did not, like, get a cartwheel, like, gymnastics class. Yeah. So I'm right there with you. Oh, yeah. okay, good. I, I'm glad I'm not alone in this. It's, like, it, it's embarrassingly terrible. And skating, too. Oh. I can't skate. Like, I can't stop. Oh. I can't do anything with it. Like, I'm just, if I get going... I'm going to be the guy that flies in the snowbank. So, I mean, as much as respectful as mm-hmm. that is that a 38 year old is flying past children into a snowbank out of control, I think I'll skip it. Just, I know the outcome. It's not yeah. good for anyone. Yeah. Maybe your neighbors from Edmonton really just uh, snooting their nose up right now. Oh, yeah. The snob factor is huge when they, when people see me, if, if they ever saw me skate. I'm like the guy with like the, the cage, like the metal cage to help you <laughs> and just slamming into the boards because I don't know how to stop. My ankles are inverted. Like I'm just awful. It's just an absolute disaster as well. So, and I'm not sure I've ever even attempted a, a cartwheel to be totally honest. Guys, I'm glad we found each other because, yeah, we yes. all, yeah. <laughs> us too. <laughs> Gotta stick together. Yeah. An annoying question for some, but who do you think's the greatest player all time? Oh, uh, Jordan. Mm. Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Jordan. Okay. It's just take him to church. Growing up in that era when Michael was the guy, um, I know there's all the other names that get thrown in there, but like there was always the feeling that, especially when he got to his peak, there was always the feeling that it was just he's just gonna win. He's just going to find a way to win, and, and there was no questioning that. You could hope, but I don't know. It, it, what he did like, and how he separated himself and his, his competitive level, I mean, he's the greatest competitor ever, maybe, in anything. Like, I mean, the guy's – and then plus with the last dance that came out last year, 
did that really leave any questions of like, well, I don't know. It's like, well, did you watch it? Like, cause it's, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, for me, it's, for me, it's MJ. For me, it's MJ. Where do you guys stand? Now, hold on. Hold on. No, hold on. No. Where do you guys stand? Oh, no. magic's my favorite player. Okay. And I cheered against Jordan mm-hmm. like hard. Mm-hmm. I am not ignorant enough to, upon reflection, know that I was choosing to coach a team or play with someone that I would not want to ride or die with MJ. Like, there's no, absolutely, there you no go. doubt about that. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you yeah. go. No, that's the... Corbs, that's, do you, that's, what, do you, oh what my, is even your take here? Jeez. If, you, if someone said LeBron has the best NBA career of all time, I would agree. That's pretty up there, but... I mean, you just watch these playoffs and the, all the all the whining and the complaining yeah. and like the Stuff. oh look at me I'm so hurt and I don't know just like MJ didn't do that MJ yeah. was he if you were gonna go down I would rather go down with MJ but we're going like we're riding a ship with MJ yeah you're going down swinging with MJ yeah did you guys know that LeBron's changing to number six I did see that yeah, yeah. it's breaking news on ESPN anyways yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last question, my man, and this has been awesome. I mean, you have such a unique story, and I think the fun part about you is you're finding ways to recreate yourself within the game through the three-on-three, which is super dope. And because I think it's like I like what you said about hoping that people catch on to it because I think when a lot of us are done being able to run up and down, we're like, okay, well, I guess that's it for basketball, right? And so I know you still have lots going on, but if you could do it all again, you would what? I would definitely hold my tongue in a couple couple specific situations. I would I would at a younger age make a more concerted effort to to let the guys around me know how much they meant they meant to me. Because I think when you're young, it's difficult to find the right way to say it, and you're you're worried how it might come across. But the good thing is, is most of the guys that I played with when I was young, I still know, and in some way or another, we've been able to express that to each other. This didn't go the way that I planned if we're talking about my basketball journey, but I wouldn't change much of it because it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a pretty incredible thing. And uh, the people I've, like you said before, Aaron, like the relationships are are what you ultimately remember about so many of these things, uh, not the destination, the journey. And um, there isn't a whole heck of a lot I would change. I wasn't wild about nine p.m. practices in Romania at the very end. I wouldn't mind skipping a few more of those and just probably taking the fine of the money they weren't paying me. So I would probably skip one or two of those. Um, but uh, there isn't there isn't a whole heck of a lot else that uh, that I would change. It's been a, it's been awfully special. Love it, man. We're so appreciative of you sitting down with us, sharing your journey. It's crazy. It's fun. Uh, you're an entertaining guy, and uh, like we were, uh, we were thrilled to have you. If there are any last reflections or thoughts or um, anything before we let you go, well, one, I would just want to say thanks so much for for letting me come on and visit with you guys. This is this has been a lot of fun. Um, I would say there was there was one thing that stood out to me. You mentioned that you were a big Bruce Springsteen fan, uh, or your mom was, mm-hmm. and uh, I know it's like a radio friendly song, and you know people laughing, like, oh, Courtney Cox, the video, dancing in the dark. But those last couple lines he says in that song of you know. Can't start a fire sitting around crying over a broken heart. Can't start a fire worrying about your little world falling apart. If that does to me, if the, if the very end of this doesn't sum up hoops, where it's like you're not going to get anything done if you're worried about you know your feelings. You're not going to get anything done if you 
worry about whether or not like your self image is going to get ripped down a little bit. This stuff is tough and it's hard. And, uh, that's what makes it great. Like, you know, that's, that's what, that's what makes it great. And, and you really learn a lot of things about yourself and the people around you. If, uh, if we can really get down to it and you attack things with, uh, with, with passion and tenacity. So, um, I really appreciate you guys letting me come on here. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh man, man. Well said. Yeah. Here's a thrill. Episode 60. Couldn't have had a better guy to be on with us. Cheers to you. Continued success. Follow him on Instagram. Check him out on the three on three stuff. You know, there's still stuff to come. We wish you success with whatever happens there. You know, pushing you and your family stay tight. Whenever you get a chance to make it out west, come uh, shoot some jumpers at St. Thomas More. We'd love to have you do a workout and uh, show our kids what's up, man. All the best to you. All the best to you guys, too. That sounds great. Thanks, guys. Right on. Thank you. Episode 60, like and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.